good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking Little Miss Perfect. We're talking an emergency gynecological exam. And we're talking Heart Fucking Bachner again. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking So Kiss Me, Kenny. We're talking Terror Train, (laughs) y'all. Happy New Year. (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. Happy fucking New Year, everyone. Uh, oh, I think I say fuck a lot when I get nervous. I think that's like that's my tell. Um, Terror train makes you nervous. I don't know. It's I, it's like, I think it's something to do with like it's not holiday or seasonal depression, but it's like one of those things where it's like okay, we're closing out a year, we're closing out a chapter, and so I think I'm like coming to terms with that in my mind. Right. I don't know. It's really it, anyway. But I shouldn't be depressed because this is a really fun movie to talk about. <laughs> this is true, and it's the end of a garbage year. So what better way to end it than with a little slasher on a train trace? I, I always forget it's a New Year's Eve slasher because that is when this is set because it it's a costume movie, right? So like yeah. on the surface you're like, "Oh, it's 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 Halloween," but it's not. No. It it makes no sense, but we just go along with it. I also do love that three of Jamie Lee Curtis's four slashers are all like holiday based. Like you have like like Halloween, you have this on New Year's, and then you have um Oh my god. Prom night. Oh, that's not really a holiday though, but it's like a special event. <laughs> sure. And they all come out within three years of each other. Uh, yes, it's nuts. Actually, um, th- this Prom Night in the Fog all came out in 1980. Um, it was Busy really year, busy year. Busy year for Curtis. But, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself because we actually have not one, but two very special guests on this episode. So, mm-hmm. everyone, they are the hosts of the Homos on Haunted Hill podcast, which celebrates the outcasts and underdogs of the horror genre while examining them through a queer lens, which is them. Please welcome <laughs> Chris Moore and Kevin Jones. Hello, hey guys! Hi. Hi there. <laughs> it's yeah. good to be here on this crazy train we're on here. Absolutely. <laughs> Have you been holding on to that for a while? I, no, it's not my best work. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> we we find that if we just kind of just keep talking, and eventually someone will say something kind of clever, and then maybe that ends up in the episode. Maybe it doesn't. You know, it's that's the the process anyway. <laughs> Pretty much. <Right. laughs> yeah. Workshop it. Workshop it. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, I am super excited to have you all, and we haven't had two guests on in a while, and they're always simultaneously crazy and really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. a little bit terrifying, kind of like this movie. Very okay. scary. Yeah. This is a white knuckle thrill ride of a movie. <laughs> okay, <laughs> tell you. No, you know, no, that th- that's a good way to start because I sense the sarcasm in your voice, and I will say that <laughs> this is a movie that I have. I kind of like a little bit more each time I watch it, but I mm-hmm. I would never call it a great movie. Like I'm firmly settled on like the three, maybe three and a half star rating for this because I think overall, I think it's a really cool concept. It's a really great, like just like little logline premise, 
But even at 96 minutes, there's something, I, I want to say maybe during the second act, that this movie just drags for me. Yeah, yeah. I think I've seen it maybe five times in my life, and I'm always like, I remember the prologue. Mm-hmm. I remember the last, like, 20, 30 minutes, oh, and yeah. that's kind of it. I'm like, so what happens in between those? Like, I, I know he's in costume and stuff, and that's it. I'm like, I don't know. It's a lot of relationship stuff, which is something that I feel like if you're going to like this movie, you get on board with. And if you want to say, oh, I don't care about any of these kids, then you're going to have a rough ride. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it kind of captures that New Year's Eve sense of like everything's just meandering. You don't know where anything's going. And there is a lot of relationship drama. And, you know, everyone's trying to make it this great night to remember. And as a result, it ends up being just kind of a mess because you're so focused on making it this great night that, you know, everything just goes to hell, essentially. And yeah yeah like just let the night be fun stop trying so hard terror train you don't have to try so hard with your sleight of hand magic (laughs) but that's interesting though right because i mean like this is a movie like when it came out the reviews weren't that positive for it it's on ebert's like most hated movies list and it's like oh it's just it's the same thing over and over like there's no plot it's just like oh murder set piece wash rinse repeat and i would argue that this movie actually goes out of its way to like load character development on the mm-hmm. problem is i actually think that i do want more of a cookie cutter slasher and this movie i think has ambitions beyond that which is fine i just wish it was about 15 minutes shorter yeah yeah that's fair yeah. or that the characters just had a little bit more to them like i like yeah. them but i still feel like i don't know most of them like mm-hmm. i had sure. to look up in my notes okay they keep talking about jackson which character is jackson and usually that's not a telltale sign that they've done a great job of distinguishing their cast yeah in my notes problem. like from the get-go i was like okay clown groucho Marx is ed mm-hmm. doc is the monk jackson's the lizard yeah. Uh, Doc's girlfriend, Mitchie, is the witch. Alana's boy, Elena, sorry, Elena's boyfriend, Mo, is the bird. And I will say, justice for Mitchie, because I wanted more yes. of this bitch. I oh. loved her. Yeah. yeah. The she's fact great. that she's the second out is unacceptable. But also yeah. gets, gets nothing to do. Like, her first scene with Jamie Lee Curtis, where they're just talking about how, like, oh, they're, they're friends and they're going to miss each other. Like, that's honestly my favorite, like, character moment in the film. And I wish we yeah. had more of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That definitely felt very real and relatable and it just it just flowed whereas the rest of it's like well then alana comes comes in and just kind of stirs up some shit and then immediately drops it and i'm like what's going on here like it just sort of I don't know. I have so many thoughts on Elena and like how. Yeah. Can we just clarify? Is it Alana? Because I got the subtitles on and it says Alana, but everyone is pronouncing it Elena. And I was like, get your shit together. It is spelled (laughs) A-L-A-N-A, but it is pronounced Elena. Elena. Because yes, up until I heard someone say it, I was reading Alana. It is Elena. Okay, it's like come Joe, on. Joe, I thought people. that was like a Canadian thing. I okay, no. now I know. <laughs> How dare you, sir? <laughs> and this movie is very Canadian. I mean, it they is. filmed this in Montreal. It is. It is. <laughs> yes. It is the land of orphan. It's like Liza with a Z. I, like she she yeah. needs a song cuz I, I I just can't uh, can't really wrap my head around it. My name the, the is song. Elena. Don't say Alana. <laughs> yeah, basically. Jazz hands. Yeah. <laughs> It's terrific. My name's Alana. It's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my concert. Mama loves you. No, she loves like you so much. <laughs> my my thing with her, because you know, she's our audience surrogate, right? She's the one that yeah. had part in the prank, but like she didn't really know the full extent of it. 
but and she does call Doc on it a lot, but then like like there's parts where she like kind of gets on him about it, but then she's like, never mind, I'm here to have fun. Yay. Yes. What is that about? And she just drops it completely and is like, oh, never mind. We just ruined some kid's life, but it's cool. We we have drinks here. Yay. Like what? Yeah. Be Here's the thing with this film: everybody wants to fuck everybody. In it's a very movie. horny movie. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. So that's my problem, because you're just like, oh, you know, Elena doesn't like Doc, but then you think, or is it just that she wants to fuck him because Mo is such a wet blanket? Exactly. It took me forever to realize that Mo was her boyfriend. Like, right? the entire time I was like, oh, like, not Judge Reinhold is her boyfriend. I get it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you guys get the sense that, like, Doc has feelings for Mo? Oh, like, oh God. I was watching this. That's, yes. I assume yep. we'd probably get oh, into that later, but yeah. God, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, when we when we get to Moe's, I mean, it's not even his death scene, it's his post-death scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. there's a lot of uh, unrequited love going on there. Okay, Carrying your dead, bo- your dead lover's body through the train cars? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's that one good. scene where he's like, yeah, well, Alana, Elena, might leave you, but... I'll still be here. It's like, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. That's okay. the one that, yeah. All right. And also I'm going to manufacture so. that breakup. So please come back to me. Come cry in my arms. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, right. I do have a question for y'all though. So, if, you know, Joe and I mentioned, oh, this is like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's fourth slasher in three years. Where do you rank this? So we've got Halloween, Prom Night, Terror Train, and The Fog. Where, mm. where does this fall for you? Oh man, <laughs> we're starting off with the hard Sophie's question. Choice over here. Um. Yeah, the fog is like almost off in its own world to me. Like yeah. I love it, but I don't I necessarily so. associate it with these other ones. But um, it's I mean it's probably the bottom to me. Not that I dislike it, but yeah. those other two are obviously so you know. I, well, prom night is you know. Whatever, I was gonna say but, I don't like uh, prom night very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I would say they're probably around the same. Yeah, ranking yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I would put this kind of more towards the bottom because I like it, but it's not my favorite. I actually like, uh, I like prom oh, Chris, night. You like prom night, don't you? <laughs> I really like prom night. I just think it has a great ending. It 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 has a nice message, if you will. I don't I don't know. Well, <laughs> it's, it's been forever. That one seems to commit a little more to the like relationship. Like it, it, you yeah. know more, more about the characters and like a little, at least a little bit more about them. Whereas this yeah. one, it's like we said, it's like it can't really seem to make up its mind whether it wants to be like this like relationship drama thing or wants mm-hmm. to be like more of a straight slasher, and it kind of ends up not being particularly effective at either, in my opinion, anyway. But it's still enjoyable. I still like a lot about it. Uh, see, for me, I think the prom night is so boring up until that dance number. <laughs> yeah, kind of kicks it I, I totally get it. I That's totally fair. Fair. understand because it's yeah. just like this random like lifetime movie for like the first hour and then it's like oh right right, we're supposed to be a slasher okay where's that guy with the axe great bring him in (laughs) and by that point it's like well i think you lost half the audience but okay yeah for sure but that original prom night also has that fantastic chase scene oh no it's one of the best yeah Yeah. wendy's i mean it's often compared to sarah michelle geller's and i know you did last summer rightfully Mm. so yeah but again that happens like an hour into this 90 minute movie now granted i do think that prom night is like five minutes shorter than terror train so it has that going for it but right. it yeah it's just kind of like meh, like yeah i feel like they could have killed at least one or two of the kids before the actual prom right <laughs> right like just just yeah. just for fun i don't know well, just do, y- <laughs> do y'all think that the setting is limiting to this movie because i i actually do think the film uses like the claustrophobia well in certain scenes but i do wonder if like the setting of the train is just too static throughout to where it kind of gets like the look of the film gets boring after a while 
I could see that. I mean, I think maybe they yeah. could have had like a little like pre-party scene somewhere beforehand, maybe killed one of them there perhaps well i mean they Maybe. they killed him pretty oh oh you, you're not talking about the kill pacing you mean yeah in terms of location that makes because that's, yeah, that's what i asked yeah. <laughs> something like that you know I, but yeah I, I i i do kind of see what you're talking about because it, it it is a very claustrophobic kind of a movie and sometimes that really does work incredibly well but then mm-hmm. sometimes i'm like okay so we're going back to the 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 sleep the car. Sleeping car, yeah. and now we're in the bathroom again, and oh, there's Ben Johnson playing cards, wherever the hell he is. It's like, I don't know what's happening. It just gets kind of Yeah, I actually, I don't know the geography of this train very well. Like, I, no. I recognize the rooms, but I almost wish we had, like, some kind of tracking shot following a character through the train so yeah. we could see, like, where the magic car was in relation to the bathroom stall or the, the right. sleeping room or whatever. And I was telling Joe, actually, when I was watching this, I was like, I feel like this movie is rife for a remake. Like, I think you yes. could have a really fun remake with this that picks up the pacing a little bit and also gets really stylish with the setting of the train. Mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. so, too, because there was talk of one, I guess it was like the late 2000s, mm-hmm. and they were going to do one, and then it came out, and it, it was just called Train. And oh, it yes. was with uh, <laughs> Thor Birch. But it was like a it was like a hostile kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I I never actually saw it, so I'm not really sure. But that's what I had been told was like, well, we're gonna remake this, but we're gonna change everything, and it's just gonna be more like a so, torture porn thing. I did see this because I was working at Blockbuster when it hit DVD shelves because it was straight to DVD. It when the project started, it was pitched as a t- remake of Terror Train, but apparently right. during production, like it morphed into an original concept, and it did come out in 2008, so it would have filmed in, let's say, 06, 07. Mm-hmm. I do think, yeah, that Hostels and Saw success, they were like, oh, let's make this a torture porn movie. But it's also right. kind of like Teresa's, where I think they're doing organ, like they're stealing organs and selling them on the black market. Like, that's oh, the pitch wow. of Train. And it's bad. It's very bad. <laughs> but... Is there a magician? Because... No. no. <laughs> there is nothing that links that movie to Terror Train, and it's really upsetting because... Then I'm out. <laughs> I think even yeah. a shitty remake of this would be better than whatever Train was doing with, like, a hostile on a train type situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because nothing, nothing says narrative logic. Like, yeah, we're going to do a kidney heist on a train. <laughs> <laughs> There's nowhere to go. Yeah. Like, do you just, like, <laughs> toss them out the window? Like, yeah. We've got a pack of wolves running alongside the train. We just... <laughs> Oh no! Things out. And... <laughs> they just got our kidneys. Damn it! <laughs> it's like Urban Legend Final Cut up in here, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God! Yes. Yeah. Which you yes. guys covered recently? There you go. I actually uh, just what did I ju- what did we just watch? I was watching. Oh no! It was Wrong Turn Four, Joe, where they like they have the guy on the table and they like put the pincers in his side and they just pull mm. his liver out. Oh yeah! Oh, <laughs> it was a good time. Wow. Lots of lesbian content in that one, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of lesbians in that. Beatrice, I totally agree with you about, like, just how the setting of this, it gets a little... Static. Uh, static. Static, yeah, for sure. And I think part of that maybe is the snow, too, and it's just very cozy and sleepy, and it's like, I just want to take a nap, but also there's a killer loose, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it definitely loses some momentum as a result of, I think, not changing things up a little bit with that, like you kind of mentioned well, there. So so it's interesting, because this, the cinematographer of this is John Alcott, and he's known for another very claustrophobic phobic horror film uh it's a little one called the shining so never heard of it, it never heard, heard of that yeah. one is that the one with steven weber and rebecca de mornay <laughs> yes that's the one i actually God, kind of like it but I, I liked it as a kid i don't know if i would like it now <laughs> it, it has its moments 
No, but um, yeah, I mean, Alcott, like, so he, he, I think he took the gig because he knew it was going to be a challenge and there were a lot of obstacles. He basically, like, to light the train, he, like, so given the limited space and the scant natural lighting of the sets, he rewired the entire train and mounted individual dimmers on the exteriors of the carriage cars. He used a variety of bulbs and different wattages, controlling them with external dimmers. Um, he could light the set very fast in an efficient manner. And he just, like, like he, he would track the camera down the halls. But, yeah, just, like, this, there's... I almost wish it was, like, a themed train car, right? Where, like, each car... I mean, obviously, there's a different oh, car for different things. Yeah. But, like, if it was, like... Yeah. yeah, they had, like, a like a decor to it. So you want Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer, yeah. Oh, I'd be into that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mitchie, this is the train where we eat the cubes that are made out of gelatinous human people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and then the director of this film, Roger Spottiswood... So this is his directorial debut, but he was a former editor for um, Sam Peckinpah who uh, I think he's the guy that did Straw Dogs. Oh, I'm going to get right across oh, yeah. the coals for that. But he would go on to make such films like Turner and Hooch and the James Bond film Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. Wow. So Man, Medium Boy makes good. Good range there. <laughs> good for him. I mean, people usually credit his films as being hot garbage. Like, people don't enjoy Tomorrow Never Dies, nor do they like The Sixth Day. So I feel like Turner oh, Hooch yeah. is the only film people actually like, and that's the non-genre one. Tomorrow Never Dies puts oh. Terry Hatcher in a scene and then kills her off-screen in her next scene. It's true. <laughs> but I, I will say, in defense of Tomorrow Never Dies, because that's what we're talking about now. This is now Tomorrow Never Dies podcast. Michelle knows really good in it. Uh, she's really good. There is some good action in there. I will say, if you go back and re-watch that, it's all about the manipulation of the media. That's what Jonathan Price is. Yeah, he's like a journalist, film. right? Well, he wants to own all of the media. So he's, <laughs> he's he's not a Lofty. proper journalist. He just wants to own the network, basically. But it's it's a little prescient when you oh. go back and look at it. Am I gonna have to watch that again? Man, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Been a while. Yeah, me neither. This is not the one with uh, uh, um, Denise Richards, right? That's the no. next one. Um, oh, no, that that that, that, that is a camp classic film, actually. And <laughs> okay. I will yeah. I will defend the world is not enough until the day that I die. Well, Christmas yeah. Jones, <laughs> named after you, Kevin. Thank you. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, I mean, b- before we go into the film, so this is a, this is a New Year's film. Um. So to all of our listeners, Happy New Year's to you and yours. Um. And whatever the fuck you're doing this year for this pandemic of horrors. We take it down a notch. <laughs> I just. I've got my five bottles of like champagne ready to like guzzle after this. Okay, chugs. Oh, good. <laughs> no, like, so do y'all have any, like, fun little things that y'all do for New Year's, or I guess that you're modifying this year for your traditions? Oh, man. I mean, I I do remember when I was a kid, we would always go out to eat, and then we would go to the movies. And so mm. since now, those are both off the table. Right. <laughs> since they're also not really releasing anything to theaters I don't. I don't think you can go and see Promising Young Woman if it's safe in your neighborhood. But, oh boy, yeah. I don't know. I just don't know about it. You know, I'm. I'm. I just get kind of nervous, and so yeah. I guess that's really all I can think of that are traditions, and the rest of it is just like drinking some champagne and mm-hmm. maybe having some fireworks in the backyard but i haven't really done that since i was in like fourth grade so not really <laughs> that now I don't it's a know. tradition of mine but i haven't done it since i was 10 <laughs> it's the perfect time to bring it back though right it's, it's, i mean at this point out. maybe it will spark some joy in my life because yeah. i think this Thank year you. needs yeah. some so i don't know maybe i will 
as long as it doesn't spark like a a small fire or something it could but you know maybe that'll bring some joy i don't know who knows anymore (laughs) oh my new year's bonfire (laughs) that went horribly out of control Let the neighbors, you know, house on fire. But it was great. It was <laughs> well; those bushes were a were a, a safety hazard anyway. Yeah, yeah. They had a Trump sign up anyway, so I, yeah. I wasn't too sad about it. Fuck Let's be them. <laughs> he he's still lost. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, what about you? Uh, um, yeah, I don't usually have a lot of big plans either. It's usually a very year by year thing. Like occasionally, someone will be like, "Come on over, we're having a party," and then sometimes it'll just be sitting at home watching Romeo and Michelle, you know, it's, you never know like what it's going to be or now, wait, 200 cigarettes. Is it, I, I was going to say 200 cigarettes makes sense. Is Romeo and Michelle a yeah. New Year's watch for you? Or is it just like a, you know, a everyday watch? For some reason, it's, it's more of a New Year's watch. I don't know why, but I hmm. think it's because it kind of has that kind of combination of the, the nineties with the eighties, like through a oh, yeah. 2020 lens now at this point. So I don't know. It just kind of captures multiple decades and I like that. And it makes me think of, I don't know. I do like that. I think that's actually really cute. Mm-hmm. Thanks. It's, also in my top five films of all time. Wow. Good choice. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> and Trace, do you have anything? No, I have nothing. I just get really drunk, and if party favors are offered my way, I might say yes and I might say no. That's just <laughs> Thursday for you. <laughs> it's, I mean, no, normally there's a New Year's Eve party, so I actually don't know what my husband and I are going to be doing this year. We haven't really discussed it, but I imagine it's going to be watching horror movies and drinking right. bubbly all night. Again, that's just Thursday night for you. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, time means nothing in this pandemic, well, so you know. It's... <laughs> we we normally record on Thursday night, so after after like two hours of talking to Joe, I'm like, give me the booze. <laughs> <laughs> so he, Jesus, I can't deal with this anymore. <laughs> but it's your turn, Joe. What is your tradition? Uh, so New Year's is actually one of my least favorite holidays of wait, the year. Wait, wait, wait. Unpack that. Why? <laughs> Um, it's actually for the reason that Kevin mentioned earlier, it's the expectations are always way too high. So mm-hmm. I used to work at a bar back in university and New Year's was a terrible night to work because you just get all these people who'd be coming in, you know, looking for roses and bottles of champagne and hoping to meet someone to fuck. And you're like, this is great, but it's also probably going to end very sadly for a lot of people. And yeah. it just, the night drags. And I find, I don't know, there's something kind of always a little sad and pathetic about it so I... <laughs> yeah. y'all right. both sound like the biggest misers <laughs> like it's it's not about like ending the night in a positive way i mean like it's all about what you make of it you just have to go in there and be happy it's not about like oh you're gonna fix your problems when the stroke of midnight hits like <laughs> it's just oh, i'm not saying fun. i had that issue i'm saying other people had that right issue, some so. people seem to think that like oh these last couple months have been terrible so i need to have this one perfect night to make up for that and it's like you're never oh, gonna have exactly. that perfect night so don't even try Sorry. let them be disappointed and have a shitty night it doesn't mean you there have you to well and that's what i'm saying is i've just adjusted my expectations accordingly so like uh my husband and i usually just stay home we make a really fancy meal that hopefully comes out okay and we play board games and usually kind of keep an eye on the clock and then yeah it's it's like a nice quiet evening at home but also something where it's like i can manage all of these conditions and have it come out exactly the way that i want because i'm mostly that way <laughs> and i know that sounds boring to you trace but fuck no off. It, no I, I actually was with you with the board game stuff because i what i've actually wanted to, i don't have any board game friends and my husband refuses to play with me because i get too angry when i lose Right, but I would really like to. No, I I would totally have a board game night. I don't know if I would do it on New Year's unless it was revolving around like kissing people. But like, (laughs) I I don't know. That's just truth or dare. 
But I mean, but, but that's the difference, right? I mean, it's interesting because I don't know if y'all have like the same kind of dynamic, uh, Chris and Kevin. But like, because Joe, I, I, I'm jesting with you. I'm like, oh, it's so funny. You want to control everything. I'm actually very similar. It's just for some reason when it comes to like parties, I my my anal retentiveness goes out the window. Where I'm like, it's okay. I just want to get fucked up. Right. So you look after you and what's happening around you as you're like, that's up to them. I'm just here to have a good time. Yeah. Why would I care about anyone else? Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of an excuse to let that like normal, you know, control feeling down. I definitely get that for sure. Um, But if you have trouble letting go of the control, I also get how that would be like a nightmare sequence for you. Sure. Sure. I think it's also like it's it's a night that's often, I mean, in any other year, it's guaranteed where, you know, bars hike up their prices and the wait lines are always so much longer. And you're just like, all of all of the but, little things that normally don't bother me. I'm always just like, this is everyone's just attempt to have a perfect evening. But just- it's like an it's like an event, though, right? It's like if you go to a, go to a Six Flags, you know, there's going to be lines. But like part of the fun is waiting in the lines to get to the coaster. So it's like, oh, it turns going to a bar into like an event where you're waiting in line. And, oh, you're finally gonna get that drink or two right yeah, yeah. I, I mean i guess I it's, see that. it's yeah. really just different ways of looking at the same situation yeah. one's optimistic yeah. one is not welcome back to horror queens. <laughs> 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 speaking of unpredictability and things that don't go as planned the opening of this movie is one of those things so before i kick it over to you joe i'll just go ahead and i don't have any really any production because uh, we've already kind of gone over much other than that yeah it was filmed in montreal quebec in November and December 1979. I do want to point out, though, that the film's opening sequence was, like, the last thing they filmed. Apparently, it wasn't in the original script, and they added it to add backstory to Kenny. So the first time we actually would have heard about Kenny would be in the car when Doc is like, oh, yeah, there was a thing that happened a couple years ago. See, I don't think that would have worked as well, so I think this is a good creative decision. Well, actually, yeah, the question for all of you, because... Obviously, the whole thing is we're like, okay, Kenny's the killer because we we know that obviously why would they put that prank in the beginning of the movie? If you don't have it, I almost think the mystery aspect of the film would have worked better. Mm. But I like the opening of this film a lot, so I don't want to lose it. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of tricky because I feel like the opening is probably one of the best parts of the film. It's definitely stylish and it it definitely captures a vibe like it it i don't know i mean i do find one of the reasons i confuse this film sometimes with prom night is i do find that they both have these kind of similar prank gone wrong vibes and i know that's a a hallmark of 80 slashers but particularly in this case it seems very like okay we've got jamie lee curtis involved in something that's gone horribly wrong and then we'll flash forward a couple of years and that person will come back and try to kill everybody joe do you know how you tell the difference between the two one is boring and one isn't or one, one is... of them takes place on a train <laughs> i was gonna say you can't even say that one of them has disco because both of them have disco yeah yeah talk about turn of the decade right this one has disco magic i was just gonna say that that separates oh, it from the... but true. yeah it's it's a fucked up like prank too you know it's having worked in labs a little bit in grad school like i've been around cadavers and it's you know it's really fucking disgusting and i could see how that would fuck you up to suddenly just like be around especially if you already have these you know mental and uh mental issues that he clearly has yeah it's, it's just a, it's a really gross 
prank. I don't know. That's uh, I actually thought that the body was a fake one. It obviously actually is fake in, in behind the scenes of the film, but it wasn't until later because sure. I was like, why? What does it matter that they're in med school? Oh, right. So they can go to the the, the university morgue, <laughs> get yeah. the cadaver and put it in the <sighs> prank. So like, about halfway through the film, I was like, oh, that fake looking thing was a real body. <laughs> it's yeah. nasty. It's so yeah. gross. <laughs> but the, the one thing that I, I I'm surprised he, he clearly must not be terribly bright because when he goes upstairs and he sees alana elena um (laughs) and she's like she's at the door like hey come on in kenny and then mitchie is in the other corner with like her like urban cowboy hat on and she's just like yeah go in buddy and i'm like is that not a little bizarre like wouldn't you be like why is she here i was a little confused yeah with the roles because okay jamie Lee, elena doesn't seem to know exactly what's going on like she knows she's luring right. him in for a kiss blah 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 but she doesn't seem to know that there's a cadaver in the bed mm-hmm. and yeah the film does this weird thing <laughs> again i don't really want to get too deep into this because it's this a 1980s silly slasher movie but it's like the film simul- like, it wants us to feel for Elena but I'm also kind of like but you're also kind of culpable here but then it yeah. does this thing where it's like oh you want to feel bad for Kenny oops actually he actually does have mental issues and he has killed someone before so it's he really had it coming <laughs> this whole thing yeah. Yeah, I actually don't love that extra detail where they find out that Kenny has been involved in something else untoward before all of this, because it makes them less responsible for what's happening to them. And it's just like, oh, well, you shouldn't have fucked with the person who was already mentally disturbed. And you're like, okay, but you still shouldn't fuck with other people, regardless of whether they're mentally disturbed. And just like just in general, don't fuck with people. So. I, I must like zoned out during. So I know he he went back into the institution after this happened. I think right. Yes, yes. correct. Yeah. And I, that's okay. That's where I thought he killed the nurse, but it happened before. Yeah. This. So Elena went okay. to go see him after they after he went to the institution after the prank, and I guess someone told her there that he had like had a history of violence before. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. Okay. So yeah, he already had something going on and you know this is a big prank and joe and i have discussed our history with bullying before and like because like watching a prank gone wrong especially when it's someone who maybe is a bit more effeminate and maybe be queer presenting it's like kind of it's close to home for us when you're watching that happen do y'all and you don't have to answer if you don't want to but do y'all have like any bullying memories of your past that you are comfortable sharing and that really kind of like have stuck with you over the years Oh, I didn't prepare y'all for this. I just thought about this on the fly. <laughs> Easy, Barbara Walters. Uh, I mean, not to the degree that I would, you know, go murder several people, but... Um, it's okay, Kevin. This is a, space, a safe space. You can just open yeah. it up. No, it's it. like, I, I grew up in a fairly conservative area, but I always sort of passed enough as, not straight, but just like to the point where nobody really questioned it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had plenty of friends that i shouldn't say plenty i had a couple friends in high school that were you know queer and definitely did not quote unquote pass and it seemed like they absolutely had it harder than i did um i think i just kept my mind more on i'm gonna be the band geek and uh, keep my focus on that and not worry about you know what anybody else thinks but yeah i I can't think of any really massive bullying besides the occasional like fag you know being screamed out of Mm -hmm. a truck which who hasn't had that right you know (laughs) uh that's on my wedding day actually Oh, oh perfect yeah we were perfect. taking my husband and i were taking photos in front of the venue and granted our venue was in west campus of like because austin's like a real big college town but um it was just us thank god taking our like our couple's photos before our family and like 
bridal party joined a bridal party wedding party joined us and yeah like a frat boy drove by in a truck as we're like taking photos in our wedding suits and just yelled fags at us i was just like oh my god (laughs) but it was one of those things like reminder we're we're saying the f word sorry yeah sorry i'll I'll, um but it's uh it was one of those things was like but like when when it happened to us like my husband and i were like well we we can handle this but he looked at me and he was like, I'm so happy our parents weren't out here to hear that. Like, we were more worried about how yeah. they were going to respond to it than how we sure. actually responded to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Terrible. I, I, I don't remember anything in particular because I was gay. I mean, I was I, – there There were some things – I remember one thing in second grade. I had brought a kid home for a slumber party and I, I, uh, I made him watch – something that was kind of scary i think it was like the haunted mask 2 or something oh my god that's ridiculous. a good one though <laughs> it was so good and somewhat age appro- appropriate i mean it wasn't like i was like have you seen i spit on your grave <laughs> it was i mean it's made for kids and he got so scared and he made his mom come and pick him up and for the rest of the year he turned everybody a a against me and i was like that is not fair that is not fair so so i was bullied pretty heavily throughout that year for showing Um, someone i spit on your grave (laughs) not that one particularly (laughs) now i wish i had i'd been like now i'll really give you something to cry about kid but uh (laughs) but then we actually became really good friends the next year so it's it's like one of one of those weird kind of things where I guess maybe we just crossed paths at the wrong time and mm-hmm. then crossed them again when things were a little bit more... Uh, or he matured up. Com- com- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have y'all had any, like, bullies from your past, like, reach out to you, like, years later as an adult and be like, I'm really sorry for all that shit I did to you? Well, they asked me to join their pyramid scheme and I said, fuck you, Alexis. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, there's that. <laughs> Nope. Um, reported and blocked. <laughs> oh my god! You just have to give us five thousand dollars, and the return on investment is fivefold. Chris, come yeah. on, it's a no-brainer. Such an opportunity. <laughs> Get in at the yeah. bottom. <laughs> Not necessarily, but I did have like sort of a. It, this is very like. 90s teen gay melodrama thing here but i not i mean i wasn't a, but just movie wise i wasn't a teenager in the 90s uh yeah joe you were but um uh but just the whole situation of you know, i had sort of a thing with a football player i'm not gonna get into all that oh, stuff and, uh, i'm that, sorry wait you are on our podcast sir you can't <laughs> offer up stories about football players and not give us the salacious details well just long story short you know it was one of the situations where it's like you got to keep this private you got to keep this private so of course this causes me all sorts of distress over the years and then Mm -hmm. eventually it seems like he felt remorse about that later in life um Mm. about just not being you know open about that and uh he still doesn't identify as gay or bi or anything but uh he has at least found some remorse for the shit that you kind of put me through so that's something oh wow i always worried about that kind of thing like i I have a friend who moved out of, so I live in Toronto, which is a relatively big city, and I have a friend who moved out to, uh, like, smaller towns, and his only options for, like, intimate relationships at all are all men who have wives and children, and he, like, meets up with them for clandestine meetings on their lunch hours and stuff, and all I can think about is all of these unhappy fucking men who just, it's like, just admit it to yourself because it's a lot oh. easier to admit, right. wait, like admit that he's gay. Oh. 
Well, they might not be gay. I mean, they might be bi. They must. They might just not be getting the thing that they're looking for at home. But it's. Right. I don't know. Like, I don't like this idea that people can. I don't know. Have these terrible self-hating relationships because there's another person in that relationship the, right yeah. like the, kevin you had to of, go through something terrible for that there's a lot of shame i mean let's even branching out of like just being queer or not queer when it comes to people wanting something and let's say it's sexually um there's a lot of not only shame but embarrassment when like what you think you want is like not the quote-unquote norm mm -hmm. and you're embarrassed to tell your partner about it and you're afraid to say something like th that breeds a lot of resentment both for yourself and for your partner and for the people around you that you see that you perceive to be in more healthy relationships than you are happier relationships than you are like it's it just I, that's why normalizing talking about sexuality and things like that, I think, is and not even just sexuality, but like just like relationships in general, um, mm -hmm. should be more prioritized because you shouldn't be ashamed about wanting to be happy unless what you're wanting to do is kill a bunch of people. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, oh, don't in, be a prude. Well, in the spirit of that, then, guys, I I have a confession to make. I was really attracted to David Copperfield and his red red lips in this movie. <laughs> I mean, he's cute. Oh, he's got no. he's got that mop of hair on. <laughs> he's, you know, I, he does have a certain quality. But what I love the most is that in the opening credits, he's just David Copperfield as the, the magician. magician. <laughs> it's like what a chameleon. I mean, I, Betty Davis, move over. He was coming I mean, for that Oscar. Well, yeah. he he's supposed it. to be a red herring to where we think he's maybe Kenny. You know, three years later, grown up. It's really weird, and it also just feels like a like a, a showcase for Copperfield's magic. Which yeah. oh yeah, right it, yeah. And I don't think there was actually a magician character in the original script either. I think that was no. added like as they were developing it, not during filming, but like during the, the pre production of it. And I think that was the director's idea. I mean, I, again, I feel like I read this today somewhere, but whatever. It's not important. And they gave him some like dialogue and lines too. And it's like he, it could have just been him doing these tricks. Like that would have been enough for him to get something out of this film. But they actually like wrote him into the film, and it's just yeah. fascinating. Yeah. No. I mean, again, he gets to be a red herring in an '80s slasher movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, talk about goals. That is better than anything. I mean, right. that's it was that's like the best hair. part. And this is the only time that he acts, right? So I, I don't know I that his experience so. was great in making this movie. Maybe he just decided, mm -hmm. oh, instead of doing nope. 60 takes for a single line reading, I could just go and entertain millions and make buttloads of cash traveling around and, the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that anecdote is, yeah, yeah, so that is from, and we'll, we'll go into this more a little bit later once we really get into the Kenny of it all. But um, yeah, there's an interview with Derek McKinnon, and I will quote this later, but um, it's from uh, November 2010 on Stole Cold Crazy, a Jeff Kramer interview. And uh, yeah, he basically says that there's a part where um, uh, the director had Copperfield do 62 takes of one line reading. Oh my god. Jeez. Yeah. Speaking of Kubrick levels of Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> the cinematographer was like, you know, when I was working on The Shining <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about perfectionism. <laughs> it's Shelley Duvall, man. <laughs> Let's talk about that. And you, sir, are no Shelley Duvall. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I don't know.
I don't know about you guys, but like the uh, when I'm seeing a, a magic trick on screen, of course, it's never as impressive as in person because you can just, yeah. you know, you can fake the stuff on screen. And I'm sure he's actually doing it, but it's still just like, yeah. I think that's why after like the, the 50th trick that he does in this movie, yeah. I'm like, uh, what else you got? You know, yeah, I'm like, not impressed, David. That, <laughs> yeah, that actually probably just bogged down the pace. Like, I think the quarter bit is fine, yeah. but then we keep getting more of his tricks. And I'm like, this movie is 97 minutes long. <laughs> Let's move it yeah. along. <laughs> right. It's true. Well, sometimes that is actually to help us if we go back on a second viewing to figure out where the magician's assistant has disappeared. So that is the clue. uh, That's, yes. That's the one thing I always, like, I I picked up on this viewing. I mean, I've seen this a couple times, but it's been at least five years since my last viewing. But yeah, whenever they re, like, whenever they re, the return of the magician's assistant, I was like, oh, because she's been off killing all these people. I mean, I'm sorry, he he does not identify as female. But we'll get into that later, too. Right. Yes, we have some things to talk about there. Okay, well, here, so I know we've already talked about the prank, but just to kind of, like, everyone, Terror Train came out October 3rd, 1980, distributed by 20th Century Fox. Uh, It's a budget of $3.5 million, and it grossed $8 million domestically. Uh, We are looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 36%, with an average score of 4.88 out of 10, and a Letterboxd score of 5.8 out of 10. Yeah, so people don't love it, but it's okay. I mean, it it made its money back, at least. It is strange that, like, it's not, like, the most well-loved slasher film, but people know what it is. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like it's one of the ones that people, like, if you were just to maybe name off a a few, they'd be like, oh, yeah, Terror Train. I've seen that. That was, that was all right. Well, you know, it's got, it's got Jamie Lee Curtis and Scream references in, Mm -hmm. so it's like, it's, it's been in the, you know, zeitgeist. Yeah. I think the title helps too. I mean, so Kevin, you're right. I was going to mention the Scream reference too because yeah, I think that's when I yeah. first heard about it was when they were listing mm-hmm. off all the Jamie Lee Curtis films. Me too. But yeah. I do think that the alliteration of Terror Train, like it rolls off the tongue. And I think it's a very. I think the title is probably the best like marketing gimmick of the movie. Although sure. I do love that tagline. That's the boys and girls of Sigma Phi. Some will live, some will die. Like I am a oh, sucker yeah. for a tagline. It's a great tagline. <laughs> that's great. Which uh, Trace compare that to the tagline. For- for the Thora Birch, not a remake from later on. What's the mm-hmm. tagline for that one? I think it's Next Stop Hell. <laughs> yes. Oh. Hold on. oh my god. Next just like, you... wow, somebody phoned that fucker in. God, when you pull this up and like, I'm just searching for train and like nothing is coming up because even IMDb oh, wants yeah. to hide this movie. Well, shockingly <laughs> enough, when you name your movie the generic title train, it's a little hard to track yeah. down. <laughs> the, 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 the tagline is Next Stop Hell. <laughs> and that's just for the people who actually watch it i mean um but the director of that movie would go on to oh he wrote the israeli series or i guess had a hand in it prisoners of war which is what homeland is based on wow Wow. Wow. it gets better prestige yeah so clearly the genre stuff was not his forte he he needed to stick with like some more serious subject matter yeah exactly Mm -hmm. Um, wow. but okay, so that's, I mean, I don't really have anything else to talk about with this production and shit, and we're already 40 minutes in, so, uh, do we want to go into the plot? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At the Sigma Pi Omega New Year's Hog Night Bonfire, the fraternity boys use Elena, Jamie Lee Curtis, as a honey trap to lure Pledge Kenny, Derek McKinnon, honey into pot. it. Hmm? Honey pot. Is it honeypot? Honeypot, yes. That's like a spy term. 
Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, it was like, no, it's not honeypot because that's yeah, okay. No, I mean, no, it is a no, trap. No. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's very much. The, it's the trap using the honey. Anyway, he so, puts the honey on the skin, right? He <laughs> <laughs> puts the honey on the corpse. <laughs> So, uh, yes, they use Elena to lure Pledge Kenny into a sexual encounter with a med school cadaver, and he promptly goes insane. The oh, so, I mean, we've already talked a bit about this scene, but the only thing that I'm just like, what? Is when he starts spinning around in the drapery. Why is he spinning? Uh, what, I know. A, what dorm room has that much draping in it? B, yeah, what? Is, like, he just spins around like, dude, just stop it, stop it, stop it. But I, I get, yeah, I, I get he's having a anytime. break, but well, the reason I think that it has that much drapery is because it's a woman. Like, if you if you have a bed, like a four poster bed or something, and then you have a circle over it, you can cover the entire bed, kind of like a princess thing. So, yeah. if this is meant to yeah. be a sorority house equivalency, then that might explain it. Oh, I guess so, because this is a frat sorority thing. Yeah. The lighting in that fraternity house is interesting too because they have all the lights off, but they have all those like traffic lights flashing mm-hmm. when he walks yeah. in there, and I'm like, that's a that's a choice. Oh, but, I do yeah. like that. It's kind of like it's a little Italian horror-ish. Yeah, you know? it's like, true. I like that. Not good for our epileptic vid, uh, viewers, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, not not very good for them. I like the buildup though because we don't see the cadaver beforehand, right? So we still don't really know what exactly the prank is going to be, right? Yeah. Okay. No, we just know that she's luring him up to this room and they're going to do something to him. Yeah, but I think the build-up, though, because like, it's it's also a lot of really fast cutting to where it's like, kiss me, Kenny, we see her, we see the bed, we see Kenny, we see her, and it's going back and forth. So it's it's build- I think it does a good job of building the tension, and then when you finally get the reveal, it kind of, yeah, the spinning kind of makes it more silly and less effective, but that's just... I don't know. I find something hypnotic about him doing the spinning. Like, it's such an interesting visual way to connote the fact that he is losing his mind. I mean, it's a, yeah. I can kind of see that, yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy it, yeah. Just great. Now I like the spinning. What, yeah. <laughs> well, Joe has made us come around Damn. on the spinning now. Okay. <laughs> come along to the, the world of Come insanity. around and around and around and around and around. Exactly. <laughs> you spin me right round. <laughs> All right, so we pick up with the action three years later. So presumably they were juniors and now they're seniors. No, no, it's they're freshmen. So it's this is three years later. See, these are terms that we don't use in Canada. So I'm always like, they were people who started university. See, I even say university because we don't college and university are different things in Canada. Oh, wait. So even in high school, though, you don't say freshman, sophomore, junior, senior? No, because there's only three years in high school here. Oh, yeah. So it is freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Yeah. See, I should know this because I've watched enough teen movies and TV shows, but I never remember it. Sophomore slump, man. Second one. Uh, See, I only know that for the second season of fucking uh, Desperate Housewives. (laughs) (laughs) Which I just recently watched, weirdly enough. I mean, I've seen all of that show, and you're right. The second season is a huge downgrading quality. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's a big suck fest. It's like, wow, that was really good. Now it's like, what what are they doing? They're just killing some time. You had those actresses, and you delivered this? (laughs) I was like, give alfrey something to do damn oh it. they gave that, Woodard nothing oh, to do in that, that was the worst was that that was like oh. hey gay viewers slap in the face slap in the face yeah. like you were excited for alfrey woodward no but she has nothing to do no but Shameful. Edie's uh what is it uh not uh nicolette sheridan 
Uh, 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 You're why am I nephew? Sorry, the word nephew just completely oh. lost me. Like, uh, but yeah, she, yes. and he's like really attractive. So there's that. But Was yeah, two or three. Yeah. I can't remember. I think it's. Oh, you're right. It's three. My bad. I, I, I keep you There's nothing redeeming about this. No, I. I, I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As I think the show like had an like, uptick in quality whenever they bring in um, Dana Delaney. That, that, that's the season where it's yeah. like, oh, it's like back yeah. back to peak Desperate Housewives again. Right. Yeah. It's like there was a nice sort of mystery, and everybody kind of made some sense for their character again. And <laughs> it was good. Yeah. I like when the characters make sense. Yeah, always nice. Yeah. <laughs> this movie could have used a Mary Alice voiceover, though. I think I would have <gasps> stuck with it more. But who would who would deliver that though? But like, it's but it's Jamie. Lee? But it's just Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> just Jamie Lee talking, yes. I guess. <laughs> we pulled a prank, and that's why we're going to die. <laughs> so is life. Oh, boys and a lifetime. We were the boys and girls of Sigma Phi. Some of us lived. Some of us died. And slow fade out. That's the ending. God, that would be like oh, yes. such a better yeah, yeah, ending. Yeah. God, yeah. <laughs> and then Kane, and then Kenny's like body jumps out of the water at her while she's like in a canoe. <laughs> it's like, excuse me, I was narrating. Like, rude. Yeah. It is interesting that like these these early eighty slashers, you know, they didn't. The, none of the tropes were in there yet, right? Like none of the big built-in things mm-hmm. that we come to associate with, like the later. I mean, to, to a degree, like they're forming and everything else, but it's like they haven't been codified. And right. I think you see a lot of that in this with like, okay, you have this beginning prank, but it's maybe not exactly what you expect it to be. And there's some like little things in here that like, um, because it hasn't been done a million times. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's kind of hard to get past that mindset of being like, okay, was this like formative or was it just kind of, I, I don't know. I actually wonder if the prank thing was the most like tropey thing because of Carrie. Like Carrie was what, 76, oh, yeah. 77? That's true. That's yeah. true. yeah. But, but, but again, that's not a slasher. I mean, you could argue it's a slasher movie i guess maybe but it's it's not right Mm -hmm. so yeah this is like using a trope that carrie popularized didn't originate obviously but popularized but then yeah it's also working off this like halloween formula Mm -hmm. yeah because i guess prom night did it too Mm -hmm. but i can't remember like if this came out before or after because it seems like they were all kind of shot around the same time yeah they were all shot in 79 and then does curtains have a prank in it too but that's 83 so that's that's even later I mean, she gets committed to the mental hospital. It's not really a prank. It's just more like a... Gotcha. I want to get the part. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, if you think about it's it, awful. like um, stuff like My Bloody Slot- Valentine yeah. has it. Happy Birthday to You has it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Slaughter High from 86, I think, has it. Oh, it yeah, it's... Oh, yeah. Don't, honestly, yeah. Don't do pranks, kids. No one yeah. likes them. Yeah. Nobody no. likes it. It never goes well. It never goes well. They, <laughs> they traumatize. Yeah, they do. It's awful. Yeah. Uh, but these kids don't give two shits about that because <laughs> they're getting on a New Year's train, which I don't know. Does anybody have any idea why they've decided to dress up for New Year's for this train ride? It's news to me. I've never seen that before in my yeah, life. Yeah, me neither. But it, it seems like a fraternity sorority thing because they do it in like Killer Party and um, mm-hmm. Hell Night as well. I don't know why it's this or at least at that time period i don't know right. oh yeah because killer party was like an april fool's day party but yeah. for some reason they all have on costumes yeah. i'm like is that, so that a thing maybe, somewhere maybe that made more sense because it was april fools but yeah for new year's i don't i don't get it yeah mm. i, don't I mean that. i guess it's kind of like you dress up only instead of a fancy dress you dress up in costume maybe mm-hmm. anyway. i mean um, it's interesting yeah it's a mystery so <laughs> so they are getting on aboard this plane and 
train. Nope. They're getting aboard <laughs> this. Uh, can you imagine? Okay, remake Terror Train, but now it's Terraplane. No, no. What's a starring Samuel L. Jackson in the in the Carney role? Johnson part. Oh, Panic! Panic Plane. Panic, panic, panic plane. Okay, yeah. now it starts oh Jodie Foster. We've seen this movie. Perfect. <laughs> Judy, a nice, strong, sturdy lesbian. That would be great. That's what this needs. Yes. <laughs> Bring it on. Oh, flight plan. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so also boarding this train is a very serious magician played by David Copperfield. And we do see the magician's assistant, but it's very brief. Like, she's not a character. She's also moment. not lit very much. In this, like, there's a whole mm-hmm. scene where she's talking to him. like, And again, it's interesting, right? Because they clearly targeted, targeted, they wanted an actor who presented feminine for this role. Because it's actually a really well-hidden like twist i actually the twist is something i really do like about this movie and i think the reason that we're all saying like oh yeah like two acts into this movie i'm watching and i'm like why did i like think i liked this more and then like once you get to the <laughs> ending it's like oh right this is why <laughs> yeah it's unexpected yeah, it's true for yeah. sure yeah so we're also introduced to conductor carney who is played by ben johnson and he delivers exposition about a forthcoming storm that the train doesn't have a radio so these are you know things that we had to get out of the way to explain the plot later (laughs) and then the journey begins but not before comic relief figure ed who is played by howard busking is stabbed with a sword his groucho marx costume is stolen and then his body is run over by the train Poor, Which is like, wow, dude. okay, <laughs> so nobody sad. liked it. Um, oh. I actually like again. Like, I realized in 1980 it was a different time because, like, again, I read Ebert's review and it was like somehow gory it was, and I was just like, watch this. I was like, it's not really no, it's not. that gory <laughs> not of a movie, all. but I, it's but I was, not. Like, no, but like, I was like, maybe it was for 1980, but then I'm like, okay, but no. like, you know, Suspiria came out in the 70s, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would say Friday the. Th- 13th was way mm-hmm. gorier than mm-hmm. this. Oh, you know what, though? I bet you that's because, th- you know, Siskel and Ebert hated that movie. And I oh, God, I bet yeah. you, like, just any slasher that came out after that, they were just like, fuck this, fuck yeah. this, fuck this. It's residual yeah. hatred. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They had a thing for slashers. It was specifically it was bad. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so... On the train, we see Elena and her bestie, Mitchie, played by Sandy Curry. Who is also in Curtains, by the way. That's like her two big roles are Terror Train and Curtains, but I kept calling her not Nancy Allen. <laughs> I love her, though. She's great. Like, I, I just, like, we already said this, but I wanted more of this, this character. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. I yeah. think she's one of the more interesting... Like, I want to call them teens. They're not actually teens, but she's one of the more interesting young adults in this movie that's right. actually something too we didn't really touch on yeah these are college students so this is kind of like it's like the, that molly bloody valentine territory where it's like, okay these mm. are adults like these are not mm. teenagers here which, which i, I like. think right. becomes really important when you talk about the sexual politics not of the kenny stuff but right. of the relationships between these because i i think it's really fascinating that mitchie and doc have a declared open relationship mm-hmm. in 1980 because mm-hmm. they don't tell you that until after because they make you think that doc is cheating on her right mm-hmm. and then it's not until right before her death that you find out that they had an open relationship so i kind of like that i mean the doc, doc is a shitty character like yes he's a good character a shitty person if that makes any sense yep right but i kind of like that the movie gives you this kind of like oh he is a huge asshole but that's not one of the reasons he's a huge asshole yeah yeah he's actually yeah. playing within the confines of their established relationship mm-hmm. right yeah. 
and like to put it on a big like macro level too like this was 1980s so we're still like pre-aids um mm-hmm. so we're still kind of in the sexual revolution you know uh Ronald Reagan is going to be elected president like a like a couple weeks after this movie is released yeah. <laughs> but before that you know everything is we're still, still okay. in this pretty like yeah everything is still drugs and you know uh, uh having fun so i think that comes through a little bit in this movie and in a movie like the fog where like you know uh jamie lee and um my daddy tom atkins your daddy Mm -hmm. tom atkins you know they hook up like right at the beginning of the movie like with you know like it's nothing and it's like Mm -hmm. so i I think that is part of it like why we see that a lot of these coming through this is before aids and anything else but do you think though that the movie is punishing them for having an open relationship no well Um, i i mean i think it's punishing doc for just being an an asshole mm-hmm. yes but mitchie i don't i don't know i think mitchie dies just because it's gonna piss us off because he's like the most interesting character in in the film mm. yep yeah she is i mean yeah. i would argue that she's more interesting than the elena character i think so too yeah really elena is not an interesting character she's interesting because she's played by jamie lee curtis and we like exactly. jamie lee curtis <laughs> she's just right. that damn good good that she Mm -hmm. can make even the most dull characters even in a prom night her character is just like a big nothing like she does nothing in the movie Mm -hmm. but you're like well it's jamie lee so i'm just gonna sit here and watch her do some disco dancing and it's fascinating you know (laughs) she's just she's just that good she is does anyone know if they dubbed her screams and like I know it's actually her screaming, but I assume that that they put that in in post in this in this movie because it's it's really good. It's really good. I don't know if they did it. I mean, I would I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I mean, it seems like a thing that yeah. they do. They yeah, yeah it, <laughs> it happens occasionally because like sometimes on the set someone might scream a little bit too loud and then you can't really use that take because it just blew everybody out. So you're like, okay, let's do this again, but um, we're just going to dial the microphone down way back and just go crazy. So it's, it's, possible mm-hmm. it's definitely possible yeah. hmm. just curious I, I just flash back to that urban legend scene right okay everybody we're just gonna do a screen take everybody scream for five minutes while somebody gets murdered yeah <laughs> oh and i know you mentioned the hart bachner of it all at the top of the episode but yeah listeners this is the third hart bachner movie we have covered in as many months it's <laughs> true Astute listeners will remember he is the killer in Urban... Spoiler alert. He is the killer in Urban Legends Final Cut, and he is the voice of one of the characters in Batman Mask of the Phantasm. <laughs> and he is stunningly attractive, if I must really say so. Dude, I think he's really cute in this movie. Like, out of yeah. all the yeah, male characters, he's the one I would fuck first. I was like, wow, you are gorgeous, yeah. Hart Bachner. Wow. I mean, I think that's why he's cast to play such an unlikable asshole. It it made me start to worry that maybe Hart Bachner is an asshole because he's played so many of them. But in this so movie, good. it really works for him. There's something about his yeah. smile. Because in Die Hard, right before he gets his brains blown out, he does... It's the joke Lindsay was saying. Where it's like, Hans, booby! But he does this smile that's so smarmy and yet at the same time makes me wet. Right. right. Yes, exactly. It, it is a multi-purpose smile. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. he, he has. And that's what he does throughout this entire movie. Basically, exactly. yeah. It's the whole character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so speaking of Doc, we catch up with him in the senior's car where we get the, the reestablishment of this prank. And of course, in the original version of the script, this would have been the introduction of the mm-hmm. prank. And we also get an introduction to the tension that has mounted between Doc and Elena, where she's not afraid to ruin his punchline and she doesn't want to take any of his shit. And he seems like 
he's annoyed by it, but also that he's interested in her. Well, mm-hmm. I wrote in my notes here, I go, Elena comes in and is mean to Doc the monk, but then she's like friendly with him. She's like, oh, you were bad. <laughs> Just kidding. Hi. Well, maybe it's that New Year's tradition, like you were talking about, Trace, where she's saying, okay, I could be fucking mad at you like I always am, but also I just want to have a good night because it's the start of a new year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. New yeah. year, new Alana, Elena. <laughs> <laughs> I'm changing my name it's to Alana, Alana, you guys. It's not Elena anymore. <laughs> oh my God. She's having a split personality. And like, this isn't like a graduation party. Like, they're still going to see each other like after. I mean, obviously not because they're all dead, but like, ordinarily. <laughs> But yeah, it's not one of the situations where like, oh, I'm just, I have to put everything aside, like all the shit that we went through because, you know, we're going to go out into the real world. We're not going to see each other anymore. So we may as well like let that slide. But now it's like, you know, we're still going to see each other in like a couple weeks, but you know, whatever. No, Kevin, don't you know, New Year is a literal reset. It just, everything is fresh <laughs> and new all over God, again. if only. If only. <laughs> I, okay. Question for you in that, for all of you guys like, in that regard, because as someone who like it works in the academic situ- uh, situation, like my mind is always on the school calendar mm-hmm. has yes. that something that is carried over for for you all like to some degree in your lives i'm just curious like like what do you mean this like like like, like in in terms of like the year is not really over in my head like even like after december 7 because gotcha. i still have to work for another semester so it doesn't feel like i'm ending anything there's a school um, year and then there's the year year so i i will say mind. yes but my husband has been in school like in grad school for f- the past four years so it might be because gotcha. i'm on that on his calendar right gotcha 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 I mean, Chris, what's your situation? You're a filmmaker, so you literally just exactly. It's just sort of like whatever, yeah. Because I mean, I act with this troupe, and so it's just kind of like, well, how many shows do we have this month, guys? And that's pretty much it. But but I do kind of get that though, like, because sometimes I'm like, it's Friday, it's like three o'clock on a Friday, and I'm like, we're about to get out of class, even though I'm not in school anymore. It's weird. Yeah, it never quite goes away. Holds over. No, it's yeah. weird. It's strange. Huh. Okay, so uh, let's get to our first death. It was going to be Mitchie because the killer is following her, but then they get sidetracked when Jackson ends up capturing their attention. Jackson is played by Anthony Sherwood, and he gets head bashed in the bathroom. I will say that I actually think that these scenes, like where the killer is stalking someone down the halls of the train, like those are probably the most effective like suspense pieces for me. Like I don't mm. think the movies age particularly well to where I'm, I'm not watching this being like, oh, this is scary. But I do think that those scenes is where the claustrophobia and the narrow train halls like really work is when there's one later too where Elena thinks that she sees the killer at the end of the hall, but it's mm-hmm. dark. So it's oh, just a silhouette yeah. like that. That stuff is really, really good. Yeah. yeah. I like the idea that they had to work around the closed confines. I do wish that they had made use of the sleeping car a little bit more because the idea that like mm-hmm. the curtains could be pulled back and somebody could be there at any time never really comes into play except when they find Mitchie's body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like a missed opportunity. But I do like this because as someone who has frequently traveled by train, the size of this train compartment is spot on. I was just, um, I was moving on to Jackson's death though. We get a moment where the killer reveals his his face and Jackson's like, oh no. And I was like, oh, like it's kind of like when Scream, whenever uh, Billy or Stu lifts their mask to show Casey before they kill her. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of wondering if that mask would provide any sort of protection, like as he's like, cramming his head like into the mirror there but apparently not because he dies i guess but, not I yeah um, and then it's a literal bloodbath in, in there like there's blood yeah. everywhere <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> good lord 
Well, it's the danger of killing someone in a confined space. The blood just gets everywhere. (laughs) You can't get it out with anything. (laughs) Nor do you try until later. Yes. Uh, All right. So we hop back to the senior's car, and this is where Elena and Doc spar a little bit more over the prank. And then she ultimately forgives Doc and just transfers the angry to Mo, her boyfriend, played by Timothy Weber. Because he told her that he was arranging everything. He didn't tell her that Doc paid for the train because that would have been an immediate no from her. Mm -hmm. Is there a mention here? Because I think I missed the dialogue, but was he roofing the alcohol they were giving to people? No, he swaps out the alcohol for water. Gotcha. To the younger students. Ah, Because he's such a fucking prick that he won't even share his booze. All that repressed homosexuality, it gets you every time. (laughs) I'm telling you. I need to deal with it by drinking so that I can then try to break up my boyfriend and the chick that I hate. Yep, exactly. Oops, my boyfriend. What? Mm, Yeah. Uh, All right. So uh, Elena and Mo end up putting things aside for a little bit because they get sucked into a closed magic show by the magician who bequeaths her a handful of nuts. Insert euphemism. It sounds so ridiculous to say, but like that's what happens. Like, <laughs> like let's let's stop our little relationship. Whoa! This is like watch a magic three show. minutes of this movie's runtime devoted to this damn quarter yeah. cigarette nut trick. <laughs> I have to wonder, do you think it's because David Copperfield said, okay, I like I don't know that he was a huge deal at this moment, but he was probably still well enough, like he was still known well enough that he could probably say, okay, well, if I'm going to appear in your show, it needs to be a proper showcase for my magical talents. I do not probably. think that is the case. <laughs> I, I really do think it was just the director. I've got to find this Dan. Oh, yeah. Um, there was no... Hey, sorry, I'll read this and we'll see. There was no stage show magician in the original script, but one of the producers was a fan of magic tricks and illusions, so a magician character was written in. Oh, and that's it. Like, the producer wanted it. So I wonder if the producer was telling Roger Spottiswood to be like, hey, put more magic in this movie. You know what this movie needs? <laughs> more magic. <laughs> like, Do you believe in magic, Roger? <laughs> right. Look, m- my niece is dating this young guy. I think he's really talented. She really wants me to put him in your movie. Can you just make this happen? His name's David Copperfield. He's going to be Copper. great. <laughs> He's got this great hair. You're going to love the hair. Yeah. It's wonderful. (laughs) He can do things with cigarettes and coins you ain't never seen before. Oh, my God. (laughs) Nor nor would you want to, but, you know. (laughs) Showstoppers. I, there was something on like Wikipedia or something that I was reading to it. They were saying like how a big theme of the movie and Tracy might say this too as you're reading through, but it's like how they were, it's like the character's ability to perceive reality versus non-reality. And I think that, I guess that pumps up that too with, cause you have the, the people in the costumes and then you have the magic act. It's all about like who is able to see past the, you know, smoke and mirrors to what's I, actually happening. I, and the, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, but can you hear the jacking off motion I'm making with my hand? Because that is exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> Okay, perfect. <laughs> In this essay, I will argue. <laughs> no, I don't think it's a reach. I just don't think that the film merits does it. enough of that. To... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But no, yeah. No, I mean, you're right. This movie you can... feels like a cash cow. I don't feel like anyone was like, you know what? We're going to get an Oscar with this one. It was just like, these are big right now. Let's try to make one and not completely fall on our ass. And th- yeah. I know this is a right. competently yeah. made film. Honestly, like it, it is. So oh, yeah. that's why like, I'm like, oh, it's like a three or three and a half. Cause I'm like, I just wish it was a bit more exciting. That's my only beef with this movie. Really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So speaking of excitement, let's 
get introduced to Pet, played by Joy Bouchelle, and Mary, played by Vanity. They are Ed and Jackson's respective girlfriends, and they're annoyed that their boyfriends are missing and not at all dead. Is Pet the boobs? Yes. Okay. Again, I like these characters. I don't really know anything about them. They don't get a ton to do. And it's weird that a film feels a little bit slow and draggy and has a lot of these characters that I'm still interested in. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it, it yeah. feels like it shouldn't work that way. Because then uh, Vanity, like, stays up until the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Like, she's still pretty active in the film up until the end. I'm like, but you're not giving her anything to do. She's just, like, popping up and just being like, hey, are you okay? Do you need some water? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, like what? That's not a character. No, that, 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 well, that's I the mean, 1980s black friend. There we go. Yeah. 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 Welcome <laughs> back. She's the Rachel True of this but, movie. But yeah. she, yeah. like, we tried. She, did, she like, doesn't die, right, though, but Pet does die off screen. She doesn't die. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. she told you titties. Of course. I will say that Pet's costume is my favorite in this film, though. I do mm-hmm. like it. Mm-hmm. I just think it's mm-hmm. so funny. I like the little hand that that's, that's in there. <laughs> okay. Their costumes like don't match with them like at all. I feel no. like too. I'm like like it, it, it's like someone just was like let's just raid whatever we have in the costume department and throw yeah. it on. You know? I, I do appreciate that it's not like just a bunch of girls doing doing slutty stuff. Like, I love that Mitchie is like a yeah. witch. It has a legit mask to go with her costume, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and cloak. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I, yeah, I I almost. I don't know when Hell Knight came out, but that is kind of one of my complaints with Hell Knight is that they all just look the same, if right. I'm remembering well, that correctly. They they sort of match up to their personality to some degree. Yeah, it's all like uh, kind of like Victorian yeah. Go- garb, yeah. right? Yeah, that, yeah, that's, there's that, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I kind of so like that this isn't a theme. theme. Yeah. This is just like, yeah. come with whatever right. random bullshit Halloween costume you have. Yeah, it's like go to the goodwill and <laughs> has to be something that like covers your face for a lot of them if you're gonna die so that he can take your mask and then put it on. Oh my <laughs> god! And oh, yeah. just imagining Kenny doing like the house on Haunted Hill thing where he like sends everybody a telegram, but make sure that you wear a mask that covers your entire face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was mostly. I mean, again, I know a lot of it doesn't matter here, but I was very much like, wait, so he's in this bathroom, which is like the size of an airplane bathroom, killing this guy cleaning up the blood, putting on his costume, hiding the body, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, and there's only about 50 people exhausted. on this train in the one hallway that you can move around in. Well, they're watching the magic show. Right. Yeah, and bear in mind, all of these kids are drunk off their tits. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, like, right, right. Basically, from the minute they get on this train, no one can see straight. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay, so Mitchie and Doc stumble to the bathroom, and Carney hangs out with Elena so that they can watch more of this fucking magic show. Yay! (laughs) This is where we get Doc's line to Mo that if she dumps you, you've always got me. It's very queer-coded. Like, if you want to read it, it's there. He also talks about, like, when the girls need an injection, so he'll give Mo some of his injection. Mm. (laughs) An injection for Mo. Semen. Yes, we, we got it. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> when you explain the, the back joke, row. it's less funny. <laughs> but it's with his penis. Right. Yes, okay. Oh, thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> but his name is Doc. I, th- I thought it was a needle. <laughs> ah, I didn't know. Wait, who dressed as the hot beef injection? 
All right. So Doc and Bo, Proposition, Pet, and Mary, you know, whatever. This is where Carney discovers the bloody body of Jackson in the locked bathroom. So he alerts the other staff. And I love that, again, everybody takes it seriously. So he doesn't want to alarm the kids, but he does tell everybody on staff, okay, there's a problem. But when they return, the killer has taken Jackson's place and put on the lizard costume. So everybody, I think, are, are we meant to believe that everyone on staff just thinks that Carney is now drunk? <laughs> I don't know. I will say, structurally speaking, I do appreciate that the movie only does this fake out thing once. Because mm-hmm. every time I watch this, I always think they're going to do the same thing with Mitchie. But no, they, they they don't. They actually let Elena find Mitchie, too. So I like that it doesn't like rest on its laurels again and just does the same fucking thing again for the next death. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm, fucking yeah. hate it when movies do that. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm just hiding the bodies every time and nobody knows anything's happening. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess there is some, like, implication that Kenny is also a really good magician himself. So maybe that's how he's able to, like, clean up the shit in really, you know, record time here. I don't know. At least he thinks he's a really good magician later on. But this is no, true. You're he right. He has a yearbook and, as a magician. And that is something that is yep. brought up in the, the end of the movie. Like, she, Elena is just mm-hmm. like, you like magic, don't you? You're, you're also a magician. And it's like, what? <laughs> this is brand new information. No, the this picture... is brand new information. No, his picture was in the yearbook. That's how they figure out that they think that Kenny is the magician because there's a full page ad right. in their goddamn yearbook. Yeah. Okay, but wait, right Do, now, okay. Do y'all have college or university yearbooks? Because I Absolutely certainly not. do not. I do <laughs> not. No. I wrote. I, I had an all caps. An there's a yearbook. Page. <laughs> my god tracy you didn't nope. get a college yearbook oh that's so sad do they have college picture day when did they do this oh my god you missed college picture day oh that's so sad <laughs> no i want to get in on this action maybe it was a thing in the 80s or the 70s maybe maybe yeah. so well oh now you know come to think of it i i seem to think my mom had one um but she was in like a sorority so maybe that's different i don't i don't know chris are you sure that Okay. No, I was going to make a joke and then it didn't work because you you went further. Never mind. Oh. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry I killed your joke. Hey, it was a bad one anyway. So I think the only thing I could explain it with was maybe if the campus had some kind of camera club or, I mean, clearly they had a magician club. (laughs) It was just Kenny. Right. (laughs) Kenny just made the yearbook, actually. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> like and in the back i'm gonna put in an ad for my services i do birthday parties bar mitzvahs whatever you need new year's parties if you're renting a train think of kenny, <laughs> kenny. oh my god i love that 1-800 magic <laughs> with a k oh with god. a k You've got yeah. magic to do <laughs> You have to believe we are magic. That's a Xanadu from the same year. Sorry, that's a thing in our podcast. We always go off into little musical montages, though. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. We don't get to do that nearly enough. We, we always talk about Lizzie yeah. McGuire. Uh, which is a totally legit thing, yeah? <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So they discover that Jackson is still okay, in air quotes, and they hand him over to Mitchie. This is where we get the dialogue about the open relationship she has with Doc. Unfortunately, she is then promptly murdered. I do like the nice dark touch of the hand, on, on, on the severed hand on her chest before she realizes oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a nice yeah. callback. That's creepy. Well, because I remember like, wait a minute, Jackson's black and Kenny is most definitely not black. And then it's like, oh, it's his right. severed hand. Mm-hmm. 
and she's like oh your fingers are so cold and she doesn't know and then it's like oh it's so oh gross. that's where I, she, I, I do that's like where that. the blood came from too he cut off his hand to use for yeah. the specific reason oh yeah what did she say she's just like cold cold hands warm heart and just made me think of like Friday Night Lights with that clear eyes, full hearts, yeah. can't lose. I don't know why. That's the full thing like popped in my head. Uh, and we, oh, we also get that Jackson weighs a ton. At least that's what his girlfriend says. <laughs> you know what I mean. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, so question. What does she really? mean? His penis. Yeah, I, I, I did get it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I got it. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought you were being genuinely. <laughs> I was like, Joe. I mean, he seems like a tall guy. <laughs> um, so while all this is happening, David Copperfield is trying to put the moves on Jamie Lee Curtis by asking her David, if she believes in magic. We, okay, how have we not made the David Copperfield joke at this point? Because <laughs> it's there; it's just standing there. Maybe it was too obvious, but I'm gonna I'm gonna point it out. Uh, I mean, make it, make it. Yeah, yeah, it's there. He's copping a feel all over. Yeah. I mean, his seduction tactics is to apparate a rose for her and she just looks so mystified and you're like oh girls no like mitchy you deserve better elena slash alana you deserve better these men are all shit come on well because copperfield eventually realizes that he can't have he can't win these women so then he goes off to flirt via magic one-upping with doc Mm -hmm. yeah it's um it's like a big dick contest, but with magic. Mm-hmm. But it's and mostly like, just Doc going there saying, I can do that. Anyone can do that. <laughs> I do like the insinuation that Doc, like, no one knows who hired the magician. Like, there's lines between Mo and Doc yeah. about, okay, so why did you hire this magician? And nobody knows. <laughs> Where did knows. this guy come from? Yeah. It was the producer, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Harold. <laughs> Look, I told you about my knee. She's got this. Okay. Actually, you know, you know, who, love you know who hired? It was the girl, um, the the woman in the wheelchair at the beginning of the movie who we haven't mentioned, but like she, they have that bit of dialogue and you never see her again, which I, I love the inclusion of that character, but it's like, I would love to see more from her. Like, did she plan this whole thing? Did she hire her? Oh my her God. <laughs> what if she is Kenny's I was going to say in the sequel, she's revealed to be Kenny's mother. <gasps> Kenny's mother. Oh my God. Kenny's mother <laughs> didn't see it coming did you you know what makes me sick <laughs> got a little knife happy at the end she just slowly stands up from the wheelchair and is like surprise i had you fool didn't i oh, my son and i are masters of illusion <laughs> boyfriend killer boyfriend killer boyfriend killer <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Kenny was a good boy. Oh, God. Okay. Um, so this is where Doc deliberately sends Elena to go and try to catch Mo fooling around with Pet, but she gets sidetracked because, of course, they're like, hey, here's a dead body of your friend, and she has a breakdown. I do love that she questions Carney about the line. She says, she didn't fall off the train, did she? And then he says, no, honey, she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, if she fell off the fucking train, she'd also be dead. Well, no, because if they, they, she could have like ducked and rolled. Oh, okay. <laughs> Into the snowbank, right? She's got some. Yeah, as long as they're not going right? over a bridge, yeah. like the train is conveniently going over at the end of the film. It's Canada. It's just nothing but bridges all the time. And snow. <laughs> and snow. Uh, admittedly, where they are, yes, there would be snow at this time of year. You would know. I would oh, know. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right, so we are now at the end of the magician's show, and this is where Doc discovers that Mo has been killed, but no one believes him because of his reputation as a prankster. This is acting with a capital A from Mr. Harbachner in this scene. Oh, he's giving <laughs> he it He goes all. for broke. He really does. Nobody else mm-hmm. cares about their dead lover as much as Doc does about Mo's death. And again, I, I do like the implications of this, right? You have the prankster. No one believes him. Just for some reason, like, I'm not connected with this scene at all. I'm very much like in my mind like let's let's move to the next set piece Mm -hmm. i think part of it is that we don't know mo yeah (laughs) sorry we don't know mo as a character (laughs) oh i know mo (laughs) and we all know mo we're familiar with the mo yeah i've seen his work before yeah (laughs) yeah he doesn't really have much going for him except that he sometimes i i don't like that he 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 does that weird like quacky character voice thing sometimes at very inappropriate moments yeah because he's trying to emulate his costume right because he's a bird or something and he'll just be like doc you shouldn't have talked to alena alana that way and he's like i'm like what what are you doing you weirdo like stop it's a choice yeah it is are they all slowly becoming their costumes throughout this movie because (gasps) that's because the uncles that's that's the remake remake. exactly it's a more supernatural it's halloween town too yeah it's halloween town too because you already have the cal type character giving them the roses and everything okay wait 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 wait. did halloween town 2 come out before the season 2 episode of buffy halloween Ooh, that's ooh, See? that's a good question. Ooh. It would have been close to the same. Oh my god! You're, I think, yeah, I think, I think the Buffy episode was first, but yeah, nevertheless, though, totally. point taken. You were correct. Yeah, totally, totally, mm. totally. See, I was going more for like Twilight Zone, Eye of the Beholder, where like they all have on those little uh, masks, and then at the end of the night, like their faces change into like who 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 they actually are mm. on the inside. Mm. And it's like it's deep. I don't deep. know. It's a little deep. That that's my A twenty four version. If they A twenty four is terror train. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the like um the Uncle Sam character in this, he has like all these like big speeches and stuff too. And I'm just I don't really care. But he does bring up something about like the Iran Contra thing, which was also going on. This there were all these uh, hostages that were. This has nothing to do with anything. But they were all these hostages were you know. Uh, uh, taken in i think it was iran and it was a big part of why jimmy carter wasn't re-elected like a couple weeks later because of all the shit that's going on so it's kind of fun that he's like referencing that little bit and then he throws in all this other shit and it's just weird that like as they get drunker and drunker throughout the night they're all just kind of <laughs> leaning into these costumes more and more except for i guess uh, doc who is not a monk in any way but whatever <laughs> i think it's an ironic costume in yeah it case. is it could be must be yeah. Okay, so at this point, we now have two confirmed murders. So they stop the train, they empty the train, everyone gets off, except for Elena and Doc. This is where they figure out that Kenny's full-page splash in the college yearbook that is a thing. Uh, (laughs) The centerfold, yeah. They're like, oh my god, he did magic. There's a magician on this train. Therefore, they're the same. We have this kind of logic and are apparently about to graduate and go into the real world. I do love that they make the good decision to, like, get everyone off the train and take their masks off. Like, I wrote in my notes, like, oh, look, they're they're doing, like, a smart thing in this movie. Like, it's... It is very smart. And that's why they save so many lives in this Mm -hmm. movie, because they do the smart thing. Yeah, they really do. 
I, I, and they make the good point that like they can't go back on the. Well, they have to go back on the train eventually because it's so fucking cold out there. Mm-hmm. But initially, it's a great plan, like just to see who's who, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also like. I mean, we get a bunch of characters. Like, there's this one guy who's just really angry at Carney for the rest of the movie, saying like he wants to kill the magician <laughs> that he's fighting back. And I kind of like that, but I also thought, okay, well, why didn't you give that role to someone we actually know with a character name? Yeah, mm. exactly. Because I don't think this guy has a name. It's just angry frat boy number two. I don't know. So at this point, Elena does not want to stay with Doc. He he suggests, okay, we're not getting dead off. We're just going to hunker down and stay here. We'll be safe. And she's like, well, you're a coward. And he's like, yeah, I'm fine with that. And that's when he gets murdered. Uh, he li- <laughs> So this is, again, he locks her out of the room. And then that's when she thinks she sees the killer. And this is, this is again, another really good suspenseful moment. It's, it's the equivalent of, like, Halloween 2 when she's, like, waiting for the elevator doors to shut and Michael's slowly walking towards her. It's very much like that for me. So when it actually just revealed to be, you know, what charlie the brakesman <laughs> sure. um i do feel a little bit robbed that we don't get to see him die i like i like the touch of getting his decapitated head later but i do wish that we like saw something yeah yeah, yeah that's the one death that i'm like he really needed to make that one magnificent yeah because he's such a douche you know but the build-up is decent though because it does the thing joe you kind of mentioned where he's like looking in the compartments mm-hmm. and like the overhead space and trying to find if somebody's there so that's at least they kind of make use of the room right and room. i like how you see it in the mirror like you can see the eyes Ugh, i think that's yeah. scary yeah. though when he grabs when because he, he thinks he's got him and he stands up and he like walks up and then he grabs him from under the the bench i think that's actually a really good scare for this movie mm-hmm. Yeah, scary, it just yeah. needed to yeah. follow through on it. Like, give us a couple stabby stabs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sure. You sure. know, like a machete to the head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So this is where Elena tells Carney about their suspicions of the magician. They get the magician's assistant away, and we don't follow up with the magician at this point. So you're kind of like, okay, I guess we'll just leave him be in his own compartment. Sure. It's, it's like a bit of a weird nothing thing where you think, okay, that's when they would then storm it. Like, I, I honestly thought this was the beginning of the climax. And it kind right. of is, but it's also like we're not addressing the magician part. We're just going to come back and have this Albert I, Einstein cloaky character. I forgot to mention that before Doc dies, we get a moment, though, where the where Kenny's hand goes down over him and it looks like a woman's hand because it's painted. And right. he thinks it's Mitchie oh, first. Right. Correct. Right. Yeah. So right. I, 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 again, like we're, we're about to blow this twist open, but like I really like I, 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 you really don't know who it is up to this point. I think this movie does a really yeah. good job. Now, granted, you could say it's cheating, but I think it all works really well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You just know it's somebody on the train, and mm-hmm. I don't think you're ever meant to actually guess. Um, I might be I wrong. Don't... I don't know. I, I think, it, I, I mean, again, m- maybe I'm wrong, but I think in any kind of a slasher, especially one with a whodunit aspect, you are meant to guess. Well, I don't think this movie is a whodunit, though. Right, because we know it's Kenny. Yeah. But when, when you, that hand, yeah. Obviously, that's kind of the clever part of it, right? Where it's like, okay, you know yeah. it's Kenny, but you don't know where. It's, okay, no, you know what? You're right, Joe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewind there because, yeah. As far as we know, Kenny is just hiding somewhere in the train. Not He's not in, like, in... Like right. one of, he's not, he, he's not disguising as someone on, on the train, but minus the costume. Okay, right. yeah. sorry, I had to work that out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah. All right, so we're into this final chase sequence. So we've got the killer in an Albert Einstein wig. I think they're wearing Mitchie's cloak. It, no, it's the witch. It's the witch mask. Is it the witch mask? Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, so they track Elena down and begin to strangle her to the point where you think, okay, wow, she might actually die a little bit here. So I I want to read his quote on this because I think this is really um a lot. So this is from that interview with Derek McKinnon. He says, he's mentioning this scene when he gets her under the bed. He goes, when I get her under the bed, when I'm sprawled under the bed, she kicked me in the nuts and I just went stupid. And I went, no way, you son of a bitch. And they told me, for God's sake, don't rip Jamie's blouse. Well, you notice I did. I just grabbed her right by the fucking tits and I dragged her out. The reason God. they didn't want me ripping her blouse off is because she didn't have breast uh, breast augmentation and they didn't want to show that she was flat. Oh, oh my God. Um, now, wow. there may be some buried resentment here because there's another quote from him about Jamie Lee Curtis. And I guess this is from like the convention circuit. I don't know if Jamie Lee Curtis ever did conventions. I, I feel like she wouldn't have. Just once, okay. I think. So he goes, Jamie doesn't promote Terra Train, and it's because I uh, because I came off more than she did. And that didn't sit right with her, and I don't know if you noticed, but the cover Ooh. has now changed. The original cover was me, which was him in a Groucho Marx mask. So not even really him, just the killer. The new one is her. I'm behind her. Why do you think they did that? She wanted to be first and foremost. It was always me, not her, on the cover. Now it's her. You get my drift? When my convention agent, Sean Clark, br- brought her a laser disc of Terra Train for her to sign, she looked at it, she flipped it over, signed the back of it. She wouldn't sign the front of it. Sean said, I really want you to do it on the front. And she says, no, that's Derek. She wouldn't sign it because it had the original cover without her on it. Oh, yeah, because I'm sure Jamie Lee has nothing better to do but be like, okay, uh, Fox, if you're going to re-release Terror Train, <laughs> my face is going to be front and center, motherfuckers. I highly doubt that was a conversation. That That's what had. I thought, too. And the comments on this uh, this interview were not polite towards Mr. Derek. But <laughs> God, he sounds a little off the rails. Just a little conceited. Yeah. Yeah. Well, keep that in your back pocket because we're going to get more from him in a minute. Yeah. So Elena does get away from this killer. She locks herself in a wire cage. And at this point, the killer starts to take out the lights using some kind of metal pole that is obviously associated with trains. And then he begins to try to stab at her through the cage. And I love this sequence. Yeah, that's a great scene. I think everything from the beginning of this chase to the end of the movie is actually really great. Like Again, like this raises the film, honestly, a whole star for me. Like I think this whole... Mm -hmm second half of the third act i guess is really really good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so i'm a little mixed on like when and we're getting to it but like when he gets kicked out of the train right that's coming up yeah yeah she she has to stab him in the face with a receipt spike and then she tries to kick him off the train she thinks she succeeds but yeah. he hangs on and y'all might have read this in your in your yeah. research but um that uh was supposed to be a collapsible receipt spike and it wasn't and so and this was actually a stuntman being used in this scene but um she actually did stab this man oh, in the face and she oh like God. wouldn't film for two oh, days because she was traumatized no. oh oh God. Yeah. It's oh. kind of like when he's just like hanging out there on the the side of the train. It reminds me of like Nightmare at twenty thousand feet from you know Twilight Zone. Yeah. It, it's a little silly. I don't know. Like I think when he comes back, and then I'm right back in it. But like just that little brief period, I'm kind of like, okay, where's the killer? Like, I, but I'm not like super suspensive about. It. I, I don't I know. That's think it's but... safe for me when we get him looking like when he like lowers his face over the window. Like it's so dumb and silly, but like because yeah, it's basically yeah. like oh, you think it's over, but it's not over. We have an extended climax, and sometimes that gets a little annoying. And I I do agree with you. Yeah. I think the break in between yeah. is too long. Yeah. Yeah. But I do love him coming down that window. I think it's really cool. <laughs> it looks cool. Yeah, it's it makes kind no of sense. like it's goofy and sort of creepy at the same time. It's like a weird mm-hmm. mix. Yes. 
I'm like, oh, that's yeah. I've never seen that. that that's true. Because maybe if more of that was in like the first half of the movie, I think I probably would have been like, I yeah. I would have left a little more goof in some of this earlier right. on, even though it seems like there would be more goofy because you got a guy walking around wearing a gar- you know uh, a Marx mask, but like it's I don't know. Yeah, it's never very it's never very comedic. No, no, but they actually no. did. They were trying to make like a genuinely scary movie here. They they were not. There was no tongue in cheek with this. Right. Okay. Oh. Okay. So the train is approaching safety, which means yay, we're almost there. Except, of course, this is where we ramp up. So she then runs into directly into Kenny, who is revealed to be the magician's assistant. So we've actually had the killer hiding in plain sight this whole time. And, uh, yeah, so some people have found this to be problematic, and I think this is probably where we want to unpack yeah. a little bit. So, and I'll let y'all kind of speak to this before I come in with some of his quotes. Uh, I do want to preface this with, um, apparently, uh, Derek McCannon and the director, Roger Spottiswood, had a uh, uh, fr- rough relationship. <laughs> um so there was friction, and Spottiswood claim was the result of McKinnon's inexperience, and this is what he said. Uh, he wasn't an actor, he was a transvestite from the streets of Montreal, and he wasn't familiar with the concepts of a contract and showing up for work on time. In a strange way, though, he did a pretty good job. He was familiar with that world of cheap theater and was strangely effective. And so I wanted to bring up, because of the use of the word transvestite, which we, of course, listeners, we don't use anymore, um, that is not correct. We're kind of entering, you know, cross-dressing killer is insane because cross-dressing territory here, and I... I don't get that vibe from this film because he's just in a disguise. Like he, this isn't like, right, oh, right. he's crazy and that's why he's cross-dressing or vice versa. He's just like, I, I don't get the problematic vibe from this, but I'm interested for y'all's thoughts. Well, I think it's important to draw a distinction because a lot of people connote cross-dressing with being trans and there's no suggestion that Kenny is trans. He's not a man who identifies as a woman and therefore wears women's clothing to pass Mm -hmm. convincingly. So as you said, Trace, this is a disguise. I actually see this more as performative drag. So this is a you know, we see the killer in a number of different costumes throughout the film, and that's always in a way to pass convincingly as one of these kids. And the magician's assistant costume is just another piece to blend in with that. So I see it as evoking the mannerisms of a woman so that he can pass as a woman during the performance. But it's really just like, I'm a woman now, and then I'm a guy in a lizard costume in five minutes so I can kill these kids. Yeah, I think we a little bit of background information about um, Kenny's relationship to the magician character would have been nice. Like, how long have they known each other? And has Kenny, like, was this just a one-time thing? Like, did they hook up this this magician with this assistant? Mm-hmm. Or has this assistant been in drag? Well, though, I, like, I, or or beyond that? Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, because I think, because they said that they didn't know who hired the magician. So I think that Kenny just arranged all of this to happen. Yeah, but Kevin is asking, like, how long has the magician known the assistant? Oh, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Right. Okay. Because if the assistant has been, you know, uh, has it always been presented, like, has Kenny impersonated a woman throughout this entire relationship? Like, has it been almost like a sustained con in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I think it has. That's the question. Yeah. Okay. Um, Um, I do want to just think. I think that's a little more. Yeah. Yeah. I I wanted to just because it's. Okay. So we have, you know, transgender, which this is not. We're going to roll that out immediately. Now, 
there is a, a weird little confusion with words here too because yes it's it's cross-dressing can still be referred to as dressing in drag but that mm-hmm. is also different than being a drag queen right so and just for the distinction for any listeners who may not know so drag queen as at the extreme of female impersonation on steroids is a good way to put it it's an over-the-top <laughs> appearance of a man dressing as a woman with heavy crazy makeup and glitzy eye-catching outfits wigs and jewelry are also over the top um, it's linked to the gay community, but you don't actually have to be gay to be in drag. Um, mm-hmm. There actually are heterosexual drag queens out there. Um, but yes, like Joe said, it's considered a performative art. Very flamboyant in both presentation and appearance. But the the, the distinction also is that they want to be on stage for all to see while relying on campiness, glitz, and glamour to show themselves off to anyone who's watching. So the drag queen is more for everyone else that's watching them, whereas cross-dressing it's a bit of a blurry line, and I don't even think... Well, no, we still do use cross-dressing. But um, while drag is more for the person dressing as well as an audience, cross-dressing is more personal and often very private, a lifestyle choice, if you will. There can be a gender identity aspect involved, but not always. So that's where the kind of line here is a bit blurry, maybe where some people might feel offended by this portrayal, because it doesn't make a distinction. Maybe so, yeah. I mean, I just always assumed that it was just another disguise just to get on the train because i mean they never stop and say like oh you you dressed as a woman you're you're crazy because Mm -hmm. of that you know like whereas with maybe something like say dressed to kill where it's like well he was this person who was crazy because he wanted to be a woman and that's why he killed all these people then it's kind of like all right i understand that being Mm -hmm. kind of a little sketchy but this one is it's i just feel like it's just an another disguise he's just a master of disguises (laughs) now i'm just picturing dana carvey in this role (laughs) one of the like the least i don't know at least to me you know as a as a cis you know gay white dude whatever Mm -hmm. the least problematic portrayals of this trope-ish thing um that we've seen in these movies because to me even stuff even films like psycho and silence of the lambs are a little more Mm -hmm. controversial than even this um so it's it's Yeah, it doesn't, I don't well, know, for what it's worth, listeners, it doesn't do a whole lot, you know, to bug me, but... No, I mean, yeah, and listeners, yeah. if you have an <laughs> alternate opinion, like, by all means, like, I'm actually quite yeah. curious. But I, I think you're right, Kevin, though, is that, like, it's just because him him cross-dressing, him being in women's outfit and makeup isn't linked to his psychosis. It's linked right. to his plan, right. yeah. but not his psychosis. Yeah. Right, um, right. I did want to also, yeah, so, and this actor is actually a gay man, and this is another quote from him, um, so again, make it this what you will. Terra Train was probably one of the greatest moments in my life, and it's also a double-edged sword. When you're 22 years old, and your whole life has changed, people tell you that you can do this, and you can't do that. My boyfriend was told that he wasn't allowed to be within 20 feet of me for pictures. So, it embarrassed me. You have to understand, like in the 80s, I wasn't allowed to be me. It wasn't fair to my lover that he was, I mean... Oh, sorry. um, This is the man that made my career. He made me. So he got me across the country. He did it the whole bit. He was basically denied and, you know, literally told that he couldn't be around me. And he looked at me and you could just see it in his eyes. Um, He couldn't handle it and I don't blame him. And he's like, you know, today it wouldn't matter. Uh, Like you, you, when you look at Neil Patrick Harris playing one of the most vile fucking womanizers on TV, and that's referring to um, How I Met Your Mother. And yet he's gay. Why now do they accept it now and not them? But you know, when I was there, it had to do with Rock Hudson and Linda Evans getting kissed, and she thought she was going to have AIDS and yada, yada, yada. That put a stop to everything, and I would have been poisoned. I was told by 20th Century Fox, don't say a word, don't do this. I wasn't allowed to go to Gay Pride. I got married. They actually did marry me off. 
That was to save my name for box office because at the time they told me my audience was between the ages of 14 and 30 to 42. I was gay and was known to be gay. Then my reality would not, you know, they might as well just wash it down the drain. Um, It wasn't worth anything. It was really sad. And so there's a double-edged sword. However, my lover and I are back together. We spent 10 years together then. 30 years later, we're back together. But I do think that... Sorry, I I, end his quote. Uh, That was long. I'm going to have to cut that down. (laughs) But I do think, though, I mean, you know, he lived however long being married off by a studio into a straight-passing relationship. In the 80s. In the 80s. Mm -hmm. That's fucking nuts. So I mean, I... Go ahead. I just... I think... Part of what fascinates me about this conversation, as you mentioned, Kevin, this is happening right before we get into the AIDS crisis. So the idea that a studio was so worried, not about the negative stigma about the disease that's on the horizon, but just the the idea that a bit character who, let's be honest, is not a name and he is not a central part of this movie yeah. in reality, like he gets the 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 closing reveal but that's it like he's not going to be recognized by people the idea that they would then go to such extremes just tells me okay like queer life was not fucking easy in 1980 Mm -mm. no yeah so i mean i i know like we kind of poked fun at him saying whatever about jamie curtis earlier but i do think that probably stems from maybe i mean again i don't know him i can't make any speculation about what his like state of mind is but I can't imagine that, yeah, what do, doing what the studio did done to him, did to him and how he lived out his 80s. And again, amidst the AIDS crisis, I'm sure it wasn't even easier then. Um, I just imagine, yeah, there's probably a lot of um, mental trauma that that would create. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I also think, sure, sure. and maybe I cut this out, but like there's like a generational thing where it's like a lot of, and we talked about this a bit in Cruising, Joe, but like where a lot of the gay men who grew up like in the 70s, they kind of resent the youth of today because we don't have this, I mean, we have struggles, obviously, it's we're not out of the woods. But there are more, it, it, it's quote-unquote easier for us, if you will. Right. Yeah. Um, so all this to say, Kenny has been disguising himself as the magician's assistant. He demands that Elena Alona kiss him, which she does, surprisingly enough. That's always a weird moment to me. I wouldn't think that she would, but I guess in this moment she doesn't feel like she has a choice. That was her idea. That was Jamie Lee Curtis's idea. It wasn't in the script. It's considering that oh. they hadn't filmed the opening sequence, it's kind of impressive because it obviously the visual connection is that it spirals him out of control once again. So he does the exact same movement as he did in the beginning. And this gives them an opportunity. So Carney runs in and together he and Elena knock Kenny out of the train as it passes over a bridge and Kenny falls into the river and presumably drowns. The end. It really just ends, right? Like it, yeah. this oh, movie's it's hundred percent like, right, like down, down the river, yeah. we're safe, yay, done. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like, hey, let's wrap a blanket around you and just have some hot chocolate. It's just like, and we're done. It's like, wow, okay, correct you, point. You get that wistful theme song in the credits, and everything's apparently happy. I ostensibly, I don't mm-hmm. know, but yeah. I love the end credit music of a slasher from the 80s. It's always just so beautiful. It's just like, <laughs> thank you for coming. I'm so glad you watched these kids get murdered. It's so beautiful. We're reassuming norm- normalcy at this point. So don't it's worry. Beautiful. You can leave. You won't get murdered when you leave the auditorium. <laughs> so I have a bit of a fun game to wrap this up, if okay. you folks will indulge oh. me. Um mm-hmm. 
considering sure. so it's new year's baby yeah have a little party <laughs> favor with me so considering we talked extensively about magic and david copperfield and all of the fun things that he does gents i would love to know what sleight of hand magic trick would you use to seduce an intimate partner uh, um, oh man and as always oh. we have editing so you can take a moment to think about it i don't i might even know where to start with this like what uh, is there like a, a go-to list of sleight of hand <laughs> magic tricks sleight of hand. i mean sleight the definition of, of sleight of hand is that it's generally quite close so it's something that you would have someone come near you to do so that they could hypothetically deduce that you're actually performing magic and they could be part of it well reddit has what is a good magic trick at a bar while flirting with ladies so that person's probably not getting laid right now there you go <laughs> but what's in that thread is they're what on, we all want to know reddit, so. <laughs> it's just an empty reddit thread like no but guys i'm really asking please post your suggestion <laughs> the first reply i really just want to recommend that you don't use magic to try to pick up chicks <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was the person who posted it David Copperfield? (laughs) The best thing you can do is walk up to someone and say, hi, what's your name? Oh. Oh. Is that the truth? Has it not worked for any of us? I mean, it happened once. My panties dropped. I mean, that's how it works. That's, I mean, come on. (laughs) I guess that's more direct than nowadays where you have to, like, swipe them on the app and be like, you know, uh, we're going to meet at this place. I, I don't know a lot of people nowadays that just would go up to someone and be like, hey, you know, um, with the confidence. No, of the, app, the apps yeah. are more like you, t- you you tap them to, like, get their attention. Or, yes, and, the tap. And, and, yeah, but then yeah. you just send all your nudes, like, immediately. Yeah. Like, there's not even right. a hey, just here's your nudes. <laughs> Right, and then if they don't respond, you're just like, "Well, better luck next well, that, time." Bye. That, 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 yeah. that, that's, that's like the social contract juggle, though. It's right, so you can you can start with "Hey" and see if they reply to that first, or you can just risk it and send all your nudes and hope that they reciprocate. Pretty much, and then if they don't, then you can just go, "Well, fuck you! I didn't like you anyway. You suck. I hate you." Yes, no, yes. then it's like, I guess my penis isn't pretty. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like what? Are you- why are you being so mean to my penis? <laughs> like, yeah, it's like if uh, you mentioned, Trace, I like, you know, the some of the gay men from the 70s are like resentful of us. And mm-hmm. I'm like, don't be because like it sucks like on these apps and shit. Sorry. Like, yes, we can be more open and live our lives. And I'm not trying to like, you know, demean that aspect. But still, like, no. it's, it's not a, a ballpark. You know? I know. I mean, I, I, and that's why I said I might cut it out earlier. I, I won't. But it's just one of those things because I don't mean to be insensitive. Obviously, like, I realize, yeah, there, there are challenges of both generations, right? Right, absolutely. Oh, and so, yeah. yeah, I don't mean to be like, oh, like, the the older generations are just jealous of us for having it easier. It's just that, I mean, yeah, you know, like, if you grew up in a time where you literally couldn't be out, and again, for some people, that's still the case today, but there's definitely more yeah. of a semblance of out and proud that's publicly acceptable today than it was in 1980. So, mm-hmm. right. I, mm-hmm. and also, yeah, I'm like, you know, what's it going to look like for us in 30 years, where it's maybe even, like, way oh, easier? Yeah. So, it's like when we're in our like fifties and sixties, we're like, ugh, like imagine if I was twenty and I had like the freedom that these kids have today, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like what's that gonna look like? Oh god, like? I hope it looks like demolition man where you just put on VR goggles to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I the, I don't know. The one thing I would love to see like expand a little bit more is at least in the seventies and this is just from talking people you know, from the era that it was like it was more uh, because there weren't as many, like, labels on everything, people did, like, uh, we didn't, 
they didn't worry so much about like, oh, I'm not including this person, I'm not, not this person. Like everybody was a quote unquote, you know, freak at the time, quote unquote. So it was like, it was all, the community had to be together. Whereas now we've gotten to this point where it's like, uh, you have gay men who are not supporting trans individuals when they should be, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, right. it, because it's, we have the segmentation of the community and that's a result of us getting rights and everything. So it's like, that's kind of the darker side of that aspect too. So I, yeah. I, yeah, it's just finding that balance of everything is so fucking hard, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know. And I mean, I guess there's definitely something to be said about how gay men in the 70s sort of, I guess, cruised. Mm -hmm. It it seems like that's kind of a lost art form, I guess. I think once AIDS came around, that was sort of that was sort of taken off the table, you know, for good reason. Um, But there there is something kind of interesting about that time when it, it, it was just like you would walk down the street in a certain neighborhood and you could just have sex with as many people as you wanted to no mm-hmm. matter what it was just like free love there is something really cool about that and i don't know if we'll ever get back well, to I that think technology has changed that i mean like we've all been discussing with the oh, apps yeah. like why why go to a bar get up like risk risk embarrassing yourself face to face when you can just do it to 50 guys immediately when you open your grinder app yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. it sounds yeah. so attractive when you say it that way Oh, ma'am. I know. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's kind of the thing. It's like, is it better now? Yes, it is in many ways, but there's all this shit that goes along with that, too. Well, I mean, it also, like, you know, and again, I know this is frustrating, but it's like when you see so many closeted guys who, like, don't want to, like, show their... I mean, granted, it could be that they're in a relationship and they're cheating, or it could be that they are closeted and they're, like, Mm. discreet, and it's like... And I always right. have like a reaction where I'm like, oh, just come out, man. Like, come on. But again, that's yeah. not fair of me yeah. to say that because I'm. everyone has their own journey. Mm-hmm. That's true. That is true. Right. So, so what I'm hearing so is... So Joe, does that answer your question? <laughs> so what I'm hearing is your magic trick is that you're just going to walk up to someone and say hi. <laughs> and if they don't res- respond, I'm just going to send a bunch of texts that's just hi, 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 hi. There's always oh. that one guy on the apps that that just is like, "Hey, oh, won't take hey, the hint, man." Hey. I'm like, "I'm not every 24 hint. hours. Oh, maybe I'll <laughs> try again." It's like, "Why are you going to make like, me reject Lord. you? I don't want to just say no, I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. I just want to not respond to you and you take the hint." It is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I'm like, "Dude, calm down." <laughs> oh. But yeah, okay, magic tricks. Magic. I don't really do magic tricks per se, although I've discovered that if I stand at the right angle, in the right Uh-oh. lighting, <laughs> certain aspects of my body will look better. So is that sure. a magic trick? Yeah, okay. So you, a, what you're saying is you find the right lighting, and that is your magic trick. Slap a exactly. finger on it. Exactly. I like it. That's good. Anybody uh, else got one? Some no, kind of Blanche de, de Bois kind of magic. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do something like with cards. I just feel like that's a little trite but i maybe i would have like a card app or something and uh find some way to put that in there i have no idea um i mean i i like the whole like rose pulling it out from behind you thing i think that's kind of cute and you know whatever i like Wait, it if you can work the cheese you could you could do it there you right? go <laughs> yeah like a cheat like yeah maybe something they really like like yeah like cheese sticks or uh, <laughs> i don't know uh <laughs> oh so it's you don't produce a flower you produce a cheat like a platter of cheese yeah Okay, see, that would be amazing. Yeah. Because I love cheese sticks, and if someone was just like, hey, you want some cheese sticks? I'd be like, yeah, what's a good time for you? Like, I'd be cool with that. <laughs> or like Drop Dead Gorgeous on Blu-ray. Like, oh, you're speaking my language now. Like, yeah, that's wait, okay. what? That's <laughs> I love that. Something personal that really sets it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a DVD of Romy and Michelle. Oh, my God. Pants off. 
like oh, instantaneously hard like <laughs> just yeah. done wow speaking of instantaneously hard i'm gonna wrap this up to say you all suck and the obvious answer was dick in a box gents dick in a box, that's in a not, box. That's, that, that to me is not a magic trick that's that's a that, that's just a prank that's another version of a prank no man there's a surprise in there you like just gotta the, lift the lid well no it's it's like so it's like the finger in the box mm-hmm, in this movie mm-hmm. like just well, or the no nope, the, the popcorn bucket you stick your dick in the popcorn bucket so that way you... okay i've yeah. heard about that <laughs> And that sounds like good, salty yeah, fun, but I've never tried to celebrate when we get back to theaters. Everybody, it's going to be a lot of dicks and popcorn buckets. <laughs> oh, dicks God. Dicks and popcorn. I was assaulted by this popcorn thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. salty and sweet. Okay, what? What? Move on. No, I was just going to wrap up. That's going to wrap up Terror Train, y'all. Um, <laughs> before we announce what we're covering next week, Chris and Kevin... Two things. Where can people find you on the social medias? And do you have anything to plug, media? Um, I'll go through our social media list because I usually do. Okay, so we're on Facebook and Twitter at um, HOHH Podcast. And we are on Instagram at Homos on Haunted Hill. Where else are we? We have a, we started a new Patreon page based on our, uh, we, with some ideas from our dear friends over here at Cora Queers. And that is at uh, patreon.com slash Homos on Haunted Hill. We're on Letterboxd. You can find us on Facebook and our personal accounts. We're happy to add you. Just don't be weird. Um, uh, <laughs> the, the letterbox. I didn't even think about having a horror quiz letterbox account, but that's actually a smart idea. Yeah, we don't use it for much, but it's there. It's but you know, and you uh, gotta come to consensus, um, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so that's all um, the homos and Han and Hill stuff. I uh, I make movies, very very small indie films, mm-hmm. and uh, the most recent one is called A Stranger Among the Living, and it is on Amazon Prime and Tubi. If you want to check that out, it's kind of a sort of atmospheric sort of carnival of souls meets Messiah of evil kind of thing. And uh, some people seem seem to like it and some don't. So try to find out which one you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's polarizing. And if you're uncertain, then pay for it and give Chris money. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Because I ain't got nothing. Because it's 2020 and no one has anything. Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you both so much for coming out. I've actually been really looking forward to this, like, team up of sorts for a while. This is is a great way to close out the year for us, I think. This was so much fun. (laughs) Um, Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers. And join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. But we would prefer Apple Podcasts because that helps us in search results. If you want even more Horror Queers content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Um, so yeah, we have closed out December, and we are moving into a new month of January and a new year of 2021. That didn't make any sense. Uh, but it's okay. We're going to be celebrating our the beginning of our third year in existence so we're going to be doing an audio commentary on final destination 3 to pair with all of the three furs that we're doing uh, on the main feed we'll also have episodes on cbs's uh, i'm sorry cbs all access's the stand and promising young woman and apple tv's servant plus the results of the 2020 hereditaries y'all stay tuned mm-hmm. but joe Yes. I kind of spoiled our little gimmick for next month, but what are we covering next week? Uh, yeah, we'll have to talk about three for. I'm not sure that that's going to be something that sticks around, but we are going to be covering three movies throughout the month. No, movies three movies that... does not sound better. <laughs>
covering movies that are the third entry throughout the month. Yes, and of course, because it is January, and the start of a new year, we have to begin Scream fucking 3. Um, yeah, I am super excited. We've, it's so funny, despite, you know, how we have a thing, which, like, oh, at the beginning of every year, we're doing a new Scream film. We still had so many people, like, this year that were like, oh my god, are y'all gonna do Scream 3 soon? And we're like, yeah, in January. <laughs> <laughs> so, everyone, tune in for that next week. Once again, Kevin and Chris, thank you so much for joining us on Horror Queers. And, well, I think we can cross out Terror Train. Yes, and for the final time of 2020 can cross out horror queers you've made it to the end of another bloody disgusting podcast congratulations if you like our programming Consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more.